Hello, I'm Jeff Lester and welcome to the Wait, What? Comics and Pop Culture Podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Today, Graham McMillan and I return with a two-and-a-half-hour episode discussing some of our recent reads on the Hoopla digital platform, Dark Knight Rising, The Wild Hunt by Scott Snyder, Grant Morrison, and a flotilla of talent, Black Panther Annual Number 1, The Black Panther Movie, How Jeff John Sees the DCU, Some Speculation About Doomsday Clock, The Marvel Marvel Fresh Start Memorial Juicer and Marketing Initiative, and so very much more. Comments on this episode are available at waitwhatpodcast.com. Send us your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester! Graham McMillan, hello! How are you? I am good, and I'm very excited about tonight's special episode with the special guest, Kurt Eichenwald. I, I think we're going to have a lot to talk about. It's going to be exciting, as he first defends us, then attacks us, then threatens to sue us, then apologizes, and oh, then... apologized? I didn't even see the apology. Oh, you're not keeping up. That happened 35 seconds ago. No, I'm kidding. That has not happened. As far as for, I know. for people who have no idea what we're talking about, Kurt Eichenwald, who... Uh, I would say styles himself as a political thinker. Yeah. Um, yesterday, I guess, or was it two days ago? I uh, got very upset that I honestly can't even remember who some some indie cartoonist who's doing a book for Image uh, basically was like, "Fuck diversity in comics." The, the, this person is, is terrible and he was like they're a veteran this is the most disgusting thing I've ever seen which led to a day of people telling him no he's terrible right. you don't understand he's terrible he was like no you're, you're all terrible <laughs> why, why why do you why is comics so bad why does everyone hate veterans and then he went to watch a diversity in comics video where the guy accused him Kurt Eichenwald of pedophilia and immediately he flipped to, he's, I've, I've emailed him, he's going to apologize, because of course he's a man of honor, and if he doesn't apologize, I'm going to sue him. <laughs> it really was this beautiful moment of life comes at you fast. Yeah, no kidding, right? And it, it's amazing to me. Oh, uh, by the way, the cartoonist was uh, Michelle Perez, Rubble there Woman, on, okay. on Twitter, yeah. I just thought in case people want to check that out. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's kind of amazing in a way because it's such a, um, I don't know, you know, as a fan of a good superhero comic, there's just something about the whole like Doctor Doom and Submariner at War kind of thing that is just so, cause, cause Eichenwald, <laughs> despite the fact that everyone tried to tell him, A, didn't listen and B, I feel it says something. I don't have much of an opinion on the guy generally. He pops up in Twitter a lot, and every once in a while he says something. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. And then he'll say stuff, and I'm like, what? What? Well, that, so, that's just it. He yeah. really is one of those people who's like, you know, I think that Trump's terrible, and here's why. And you're like, oh, that, you know, that's that's a really interesting mm-hmm. thing. And then he'll immediately follow that up with, why do the leftists want to rape everyone? Right. And you're like, what? Where did what? Yeah, yeah. And so it really was this moment of when he when he started this going, oh, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, of course he is simultaneously, like, thinking he's he's doing something good and also being terrible. Well, but, and again, there's, at least not that I've followed it that closely, but he's so consumed with the idea that he, he personally was 
wronged by this guy and has yet to see I have yet to see him do any of the oh you're right this is this is a garbage person oh yeah no no he's not good there at all he's literally gone to the well he's garbage because he called me a pedophile as opposed to like Mm -hmm. everything else everything else that hundreds of people were telling him so part of me is like that was one of my favorite parts but where yesterday he basically was like I will only believe this guy is trash if someone with a blue check mark on twitter explains it to me and you had so many people be like like with blue check marks going here is a list of things he has done and you just be like i don't believe it <laughs> graham do you have a blue check mark i do not i've i've never asked for one you should never... ask for one dude get a blue check mark. Um, uh, do you have a blue check mark? no of course not no one knows who i am and if even if i tried they'd be like sorry i saw that episode of seinfeld you are not jeff lester and i'm like no i'm the other <laughs> jeff lester i i had a a comic book professional not only that a comic book professional who i respect deeply and compliment my twitter account last night and it freaked me out so much that I'm like I wouldn't let's not even talk about that oh that's awesome well, you know me I can't take compliments mm-hmm. um and it like it really was they were they were I, I won't tell you what they said because it's going to sound like a humble brag but they basically were like you know I, I, I like your, your Twitter account um for for these reasons and I did my traditional well, let's immediately change the subject <laughs> I know you're trying to engage with me, like, not only in a compliment, but in a discussion about something, but because the compliment is adjacent, let's immediately change the subject. Right, right. 100%. Well, I I think it's great that it at least sunk in and you can sort of semi-repeat it in cloaked fashion. Uh, I'm very happy for you. I I know like, I, I enough by being like a comic book professional. Yeah. yeah, let's like let's not even go down that route. I'll tell you everything when we stop recording, Jeff. Obviously, oh, my goodness, because it, it involves the gossip that I love to tease listeners with. We can't say because seriously, that, I'm, oh, is, I'm listeners, is this a good idea? <laughs> like, you should write in and tell us. Like, we we all know that Graham's perverse. Oh my god, but that, is this... that should be the next Patreon tier. You is... give us enough money. And I will share some of the gossip that I can't share. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. That is terrifying. That is totally terrifying because I, I could see people being willing to pony up for that, you know? Oh god, no. People I won't. No. <laughs> so, Graham McMillan, we got, we, I, it's interesting because I feel like two weeks ago, like we wrapped our wait what you know, the Baxter building was coming in. Actually, it was three weeks ago because we had that weird delay that, that happened. Skip, yeah. And uh, I was very much like, I've got so much to talk about, like, for our next Wait What? Oh, my – it's just piles and piles. And then I was trying to put together a list of stuff that I had read recently or things I was kind of like, oh, this this should be worth discussing. And uh, I, I, I don't – I don't, I worry sometimes if I'm like, yeah, and it's a little meager, and you're like, okay, let me tell you about gossip, comics, news, and gossip I can talk about online for, you know, 90 minutes. Uh, but, but do you have, uh, putting that aside, there, do, Graham, what have you been reading that you can talk about? I know there's some stuff you've been reading that you can't talk about, or, you uh, know. Do you know what I've been reading that I want to talk about, and it's the, the funniest, dumbest thing? And this actually ties into the hoopla conversation we had last time we did a way what? Great. Um, Hoopla, as you know, as you told me, mm-hmm. uh, has like 
all the DC collections pretty much the day they come out. Yeah. Batman and the Outsiders Volume 2, Jeff. Mm. Oh, shit. Volume 2's out? Shit. Yes, it came out this week. Oh, my God. Um, There's so much to talk about in it. Batman and the Outsiders is... I think you'd agree with me, like a solid B level title from oh, DC in the eighties. I would say so. Yeah. I, uh, I, you know, having it, it said never, that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry, are you going to make a case that it's better than that? No, no. Sadly, I was going to say that, like the Jim Aparo art and Mike W. Barr is a solid dude. I just right. It's it's it's. I mean, it's great. And it's very enjoyable. Mm-hmm. But it's also it genuinely is just like solidly B level. Like it never it never sort of rises above its its obvious charms. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, that's not true, and I'm, I'm going to get on to that in a second. It rarely rises above its obvious charms. Right. Um, but its obvious charms are, are very charming. Mm-hmm. Like, there genuinely is something entertaining about Batman forming a group of misfits into into a team and into, into friends, although Batman doesn't have the most to do with the friendship part of it. Right. Um, and also... The choice of the characters is interesting. For those who don't know, it's Geoforce, who is very dull. Um, but Metamorpho is in there. Um, Black Lightning's in there. Uh, Katana is in there. And fascinatingly enough, the cover of Volume 2, Jeff, actually says Batman the Volu- and the Outsiders featuring Katana for some Ooh, weird reason. That's not so weird at weird- all. Really? Like, it shouldn't be featuring Black Lightning, seeing as that guy's got a TV show right now? Uh, well, I gotta like tell you... Like, a Suicide Squad that came out a year and a half ago. Yeah, but you know what? She's, she's, uh, DC Superhero Girls is big. Oh, and, true. Actually, that's a really good point. And she, and she is a big part of that. In that that's, that's, that's a really good point. I yeah. didn't think about that at all. I was like, is it because she's in Suicide Squad? But you're right. DC Superhero Girls makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um... And there's also Halo, who is, is Mike W. Barr's sort of, like, mystery character for the whole thing. And it has to be said, the rare thing for me of a mystery box character that works, in large part because Mike W. Barr unpacks her relatively quickly. Mm-hmm. She's a mystery for the first year, and then the second year, he pretty much goes, this is who she is, oh no, this is who she is. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a way that works for me, very much so. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's entertaining characters. Barr's a solid writer. He, at least for the opening part of the series, is quasi writing in Haney esque Batman, mm-hmm. like not amazingly so, but definitely a lighter Batman and a, a goofier Batman than I think was around the rest of the line at the time. He writes a great Bruce Wayne mm-hmm. in in the first year, definitely, because he really goes. He essentially paints Bruce Wayne as like a lush, as, oh, as really? like a, a, yeah, as like a sort of. Uh, like, I don't want to say ditzy, but like a sort of stupid, doesn't care about anything lush, while simultaneously giving him like thought balloons being like, I hate doing this to Bruce Wayne's reputation. <laughs> you know, so like Bruce Wayne shows up at like the opening of a hospital or something, and he's like, I'm only here for the cameras, martini anyone? And then there's the thought balloon being like, I hate doing this, but I have to be here for, you know, this mission. Right. Yeah. Um, so, like, there, there's a lot of that level of, of, like, entertaining about it. But what I'd completely forgotten, and again, I read these comics when when they came out, mm-hmm. is two things in Volume 2 stick out. One, the it starts with Batman the Outsiders Annual Number 1, which has a Frank Miller cover. Mm-hmm. Frank Miller inked by Jim Aparo, huh. which is a 
a really genuinely amazing combination, especially because Aparo just overwhelms Frank Miller. Well, yeah, I was about to say. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, but there's a fill-in issue by Trevor Vaud Eden that oh. is just fucking astounding. Mm-hmm. Like, genuinely amazing art. I believe um, it. And feels so contemporary that like you can imagine it being in like a DC comic today and people still being like wow that's cutting edge mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know it's just so great it's so wonderful mm-hmm. um, so yeah I, I really like I, I read I pretty much read all of that this morning to be honest with you wow uh, but I I'd loved it and it is something that it's light enough and frothy enough that you can just race through it mm-hmm. but there's also enough in each issue that you really feel like you're getting a lot out of it Mm-hmm. And volume two is like issue, I think it's 14 through 23, mm-hmm. plus Daniel. So there's a lot in there. Um, yeah. And also Alan Davis takes over the this, this series midway through that as well. Right, which kind of like, holy crap. You know? Right? Mm-hmm. So, it, so it, it's such an interesting, it's such an interesting book. And in a weird way, especially the second volume. Because actually the reason I got it from Hoopla was... I got the first volume for like ninety nine cents, or whatever, at the the holiday sale. Uh, on comics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. I was going to say it was super I cheap. Just hadn't read it. Yeah, right. I, I literally just had not read it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this week I read it, and then it went on Hoopla, and it's like we have volume two. Wow. And I was like, this, this, of course you do. This is great. <laughs> um, but volume two feels very much like it's a time capsule of DC on the cusp of like. Um, sort of the post-crisis move towards not Marvel per se, mm-hmm. but trying to do something different with the superhero books. So the first year is solidly, um, you know, just I'm trying to think of a good way of saying this. Like, there's something weirdly old-fashioned and staid about DC's books for the most part in the early '80s. Yeah, they're completely solid. They're very, very exciting. They're very good at what they're doing. But in no way are they trying to be uh, relevant, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then the second year, you see Barr, and especially when Alan Davis takes over the art, um, and the book try try to like grapple with this. Mm-hmm. Like the audience expectation is changing. How do I deal with this audience expectation changing? How does the book change in order to meet what the audience wants nowadays? Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it so makes a fascinating read. It, it really feels like a little bit of, of comics history. Well, I think so, because it's such a transition. I mean, I think that's... I feel like uh, Barr was such an interesting um, DC writer in, in in the way that he seems to have arrived in, at DC in the 80s with, like, sort of having completely mastered all the everything that DC wanted from a writer in the 70s. Exactly. Yeah. And he, he, he's so good at all of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he can, he can sort of turn around and do stuff that is, like you said, like, like just about near classic, but also somehow kind of strangely dated even as it comes out. You know, and and I remember for myself, Batman and the Outsiders was one of those things because of the apparel art. I was always kind of halfway drawn to it, but every time I picked it up, it just it at the same time it also kind of very much had that feeling of, you know, the DC that I wasn't interested in. You know, it, mm-hmm. it was well, it, it it's very much a book that um, 
like if you don't buy into genuinely like you know 1977 idea of superhero comics mm-hmm. that you really are going to get not bored by per se but there's going to be nothing for you to hold on to yeah right right yeah no there is something i mean and i think that's one of the things that's kind of weird is you've got you've got you've got a team uh, with batman and and yet i, I just remember feeling like the, it kind of felt like marvel's the champions you know, for me, I just looked at oh, that very, group. That's actually a great comparison. Yeah, and it just—it just never. I was never kind of like, why are these people in a group? Apart from the feeling that someone felt that these people, you know, kind of like they—they they just ended. They, it just feel, feels like they the box of potential candidates was rattled around, <laughs> and they were like, well, it—it's—it's it's one of those things where the group membership makes sense thematically mm-hmm. because it's—it's—it's. Uh, it's, it's, Taking the name literally, it's the outsiders. It's the characters who do not belong together. Right. You know, in, in many ways, it's, it's the Marvel Defenders idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, in a, have you read any of this stuff recently? No, no, I haven't. Did, in fact, I also picked up Volume One and was really excited to dig into it, and, and have not. Exactly. So just like me, like you're yeah. like, I have so many other things to read. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll be super curious about what you think when you read it because the first two issues are the origin of the team, and it's so. Like the suspension of disbelief required is amazing. <laughs> it's literally like here are all these characters who have no reason to be together together, especially because they're all in another country. What? Like they're all they're all in Markovia. Oh, the, the of course, Eastern European country where Geoforce comes from. Mm-hmm. I, I'd like there's no reason for that to be the case. I, you know the 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 way the story like the way Bar contorts everything to make that the case. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, of course it's completely organic that all of these characters are in this Eastern European country that is undergoing a coup and by the way, there's also a scientist here who simultaneously is connected to Metamorpho's powers, but is going to give Geoforce his powers and will later be retconned to have given Terra from Teen Titans her powers. Right. Right. And also, like, the, the villains, there, there's a villain team that comes in midway through, like, the first year, and she's given them their powers as well. Mm. And it's just, it, you know, Bar, it, Bar works for his money in that mm-hmm. first year. He really is like, no, really, you guys, this all makes sense. And it, it just, it fucking doesn't. But it, it <laughs> does in a way that, you're right, is really reminiscent of like the the champions mm-hmm. from from Marvel, like you know a good. I mean, that really was like a good six or seven years before that. Yeah, that's right. It really was. It really was. Uh, you know, I'm. Uh, um, uh, I have to say, you definitely won the the Hoopla lottery because what I ended up, I realize now, I'm like, oh, I'm opened up the Hoopla app. I I read Superman versus Darkseid. The oh no. The trade no. paperback? Yeah. Yeah, no. you shouldn't, because that's literally like a random selection of Superman stories Darkseid is showing up in. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty, well, it's pretty garbagey, of course. I mean, literally, I don't even know. It's even got like, has it not got like the eighth issue of Death of the New Gods or something? Oh, it's, Graham, it's, it's genius. Let me, let me, let me run it down for you. It has the, uh, Superman number three, Adventures of Superman four twenty six, Action Comics five eighty six, which is a three part crossover. It's yeah. the Legends crossover. Yeah. That's right, exactly. With which has 
Superman ending up on Apocalypse, getting his brain and powers scrubbed, then ending up as basically the son of Darkseid. <sighs> then there's the champion <laughs> from Action Comics Die. 586. Oh, no, sorry. That's the wrap-up. Apocalypse Now, Superman versus Darkseid, Apocalypse Now from March 2003. Writer Mark Schultz, artist Mike McCone, Marlo Alquiza, and Cam Smith. Is that a one-shot or something? It is a super giant one-shot, which is interesting because it feels like a... Um, it it feels feels like it would be a sort of double size anniversary issue that would happen on somebody's run on like Action Comics or something like that because the whole gist of it is is essentially that um, Steel has sacrificed himself uh, at some point and is now sort of locked in like an apocalyptic power suit. Oh shit! No, Jeff. I like I know when that happened. Mm-hmm. That was from the Our Worlds of War in at War crossover. Oh, was it? Well, like in on, like two thousand one, uh, which you may or may, may not remember, mm-hmm. was the one that ended with Superman wearing an arm. No, so, uh, the black S because he was in mourning for all the the like the people who died in the, the intergalactic war, mm. which came out like the week after September eleventh. You wow. may or may not remember. That. I, I do not. Uh, I do not. Yeah, yeah. That, but that was the storyline. That, that's that's where because because the the way they end that story, and that's how Steel get, got into that. I remember. Ah, uh, okay. So yeah, exa- right, exactly. He uh, <clears throat> yes, during the war with Imperiex, <clears throat> we got back something we wanted to believe was John Henry Irons, something that wore the entropy Aegis with a soul that belonged to another. Something that was a destroyer. So basically Superman shows up and is like, more or less bets his life against John Henry Irons, where it's like, if I beat you in combat, you have to help us free John Henry Irons. And it really does feel, because meanwhile, of course, Steele's daughter is putting together a new suit. And then I think she ends up with attacked by, oh, sorry, uncle, her, her the niece. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, shit, what was it called? Natasha? Uh, Natasha Irons? Natasha Irons, right, exactly. So she's like, and meanwhile, there's like, while Superman's fighting Darkseid, like, uh, there's like a mission where Supergirl, Crypto, and Superboy have to hold off the parademons so that they can fight. And it's just lots of fighting. And it's Mark Schultz, who, you know, is kind of... um, you know, kind of there as a writer. Uh, it, it honestly, <laughs> I was gonna say, sounds better than this comic. Like Schultz, Schultz of Superman was actually kind of shitty, but it still sounds like his average issue was better than this. Yeah, this, this is, this honestly was kind of, uh, it, it was mostly okay, especially considered it's followed by Superman Batman issue twelve by um, Jeff Loeb and the not my favorite Michael Turner. Um, oh, which is the last part of the Supergirl story. Exactly. So it's like Supergirl who's been converted to evil by Darkseid, which I'm like, huh, this is – it's kind of great if you're reading all the way through from the beginning of the collection, you know. So she, of course, is, you know, dressed as Michael Turner likes addressing him. And then Superman Superman and Supergirl are in a punch-out while Batman more or less gets his ass kicked by Darkseid. And then in the end – 
just when you thought that they've won, Darkseid comes out and is like, "Ah, I'm gonna, I'm going to kill Super, I'm gonna kill you, Superman. I, I said I would leave Supergirl alone, but I didn't say I wouldn't fuck you up." Ha ha ha! And then, of course, she jumps in the way of the Omega I beams, um, and is turned to dust, and he's left crying. And oh wait, and then there's right, there's the big punch out stuff with him where where Superman literally flies Darkseid into the Force Wall, and unless I'm mistaken. Either Michael Turner just, like, didn't draw any more pages of the story and they just printed what they had for the issue, or the people who are in the process of clipping this for the collection are like, yeah, fuck it, we're not even going to bother. Let's. They're literally in such a hurry to get to the last three issues of Countdown to Final Crisis. That, oh! Yeah. Oh, no. Wow, it's the collection to make you hate Darkseid. It really does. I was kind of like, reading this, I'm like, I am so impressed at how many people just don't get Darkseid right. Like, kind, like there's sort of, there's sort of a weird, like, he's such a, you know, he's such an iconic character, and there's kind of the idea of, um, you know he's a schemer, but basically they they kind of write him like he's Doctor Doom. You know he's always like so, someone, and I can't remember who it was. Someone made this point in an essay somewhere mm-hmm. that what everyone at DC get wrong about Darkseid, and everyone is is, is right a generalization. Yeah, um, but what they get wrong is. Kirby never put him in direct con- combat. Yeah. With the exception of, of Hunger Dogs. Right, which was because and deliberate, yeah. Exactly. Because Darkseid's Kirby is the guy who sends other people to to risk themselves. Yeah. And almost everyone who's followed Kirby has thought, well, I'm going to, like, my big bad boss is going to be Darkseid's just going to keep getting in fights with people. Yeah, right. And it, and it misses the point. You're right. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff where he's standing, and again, because it's, you know, Kirby-derived stuff, a lot of it sort of more or less reads, again, Dr. Doom. He's holding his hands behind him, and he's like, you dare with your insolence kind of thing. It's like, you know, it, it really, the 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 idea that it's like, oh, we, we get someone who can, like, slug it out dude-to-dude with Superman, which happens, like, four times in this thing, and each yeah. time Well, it is called Superman versus Darkseid. Well, sure. Absolutely. And honestly, the thing that's funny is uh, it also really made me aware of kind of how much I kind of um, John Burns Superman kind of skeeved me out. I mean, the it's a three-part storyline that spreads, you know, the three-parter that opens the 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 uh, this collection. I remember reading it all in the originals, and admittedly, the middle part of Adventures of Superman is where the dude has amnesia. Um, you know, he manages to beat up some parademons. He's more or less turned into a savior of the people, and then the big reveal is is that. Uh, Glorious Godfrey's sister, whatever her name is. Amazing Grace. Thank you. How could I have forgotten that? 
you know, is, why do I remember that? Has actually converted him at Superman, and so the whole thing is is that Superman's designed to more or less crush the hopes of of the Hunger Dogs by being their savior, who then turns on them as the son of Darkseid and flies around in a super loincloth and and kills lots of people. And I remember being really distressed when I read that way back when, and it's not like I was a kid. I was, you know. I must have been in college, but I was still kind of like, they have, they have Superman brainwashed, killing all these various hunger dogs and more or less just being this horrific terror. And then he gets his, his, he gets his personality back and kicks Darkseid's ass. And Burn being Burn is like, oh, but he'll have no memory of all that he did is blah, blah. I'm like, he still killed Lots of people. You're yeah, really just because Superman doesn't remember doesn't mean the readers don't. You know, it's there's something, and that's kind of the thing, kind of like the 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 big Barda issue of action, where oh yes, where yes. Burn is like, oh yeah, they're gonna get brainwashed, and then they're totally gonna have porn, and everyone would want to see it. I'm like, eh. like he's like Burn really enjoys the idea of like. Evil Superman well, in well, but also can can we remember what is? I don't want to say the worst part of that, but it also kind of feels like the worst part of that is the the Denouma. I was going to say the climax of that, but you know, wink, wink. Um, yeah, the 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 reveal of that is Sleaze, the name of the apocalyptic uh, pornographer. Oh God. That's an amazing SLG. phrase right there. Yeah. Um, cannot break Superman. But right. he can, I can and has broken Barda. Yeah, right. Right. So he basically says, and I don't think like, because it's burn and it's the 80s and, you know, there's things you can and can't say. Because I'm fairly sure that the, the issue actually goes out of its way to avoid saying we're making porn. Um, right, but it, I mean, it, it doesn't it, explicitly it's say. Strongly it. yeah. implied mm-hmm. that Barda's made a shit ton yeah. of porn, right? Uh, while while hypnotized, but Superman hasn't. Right, like Superman, the worst he's done is like make out with people, <laughs> and there's something. I don't know, something like extra gross. Yeah, no, that is gross. About the yeah. idea that it's like. Well, Superman's uncorruptible, but Barda, oh, you should see what we've done to her. Yeah, right. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was gross. But there's, it's just, well, I also feel like there's that thing of like, I don't know, cause there's that weird, because they're being coy, like, I think I, I really do feel like he's like, no, I've got them to do so much, but he still won't. Like you know, it's basic. He basically makes it sound like they've done they've done everything but, and Superman keeps resisting. And exactly, I'm like, like, come on, we've got to hand jobs. We've we can't, uh, exactly. Stop. It's so. It's like, oh, John Burns, stop but, it! You know, but come on, Burns is also the guy. Do you remember Burns' West Coast Avengers? No, one well, no, people? I no, I don't. Because honestly, I okay. think I was mostly one that goes evil. In, in his West Coast, in Burns West Coast Avengers, right, and she doesn't just go evil, Jeff. She goes evil in a scene where she uh, has like trapped all the West Coast Avengers, uh-huh. and she's doing a monologue of like, "I am so evil, I, 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 I am so evil, I am so evil. I've cut my hair short to show how evil I am. Right. I am evil." 
And then there is, I shit you not, a sequence which is essentially her going, and now I'm going to play with Wonder Man's dick. Oh, right. Right. And, like, literally all you see is, like, her hand pulling his costume down, mm-hmm. and then it cuts to his head, and he's like, Wanda, don't! Yeah, the classic burn reaction shots. It's but like, it really yeah. is like, what the fuck is going on in your head, John Burn? Yeah, yeah. Seriously. Ser- well, see, and there is that. There's kind of that, again, I feel like, um, again, my secret theory that that Byrne is so consumed with frustration over the success of Chris Claremont that he's like, I'm going to give the people what they want. This is what people want. Like, I tried showing them that they wanted, you know, I tried giving them super powerful Sue Storm, but they weren't interested in that. The only thing these people are interested in for Chris Claremont is the smut. Here, I can out-smut Chris Claremont. Here I am oh, out-smutting the, the, them. The, the um, dark Wanda thing mm-hmm. is could not be more blatant that it's a, a Dark Phoenix riff. Right. C- c- literally could not. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are, there's like visual call-outs in the whole thing. Wow. I, and Jesus. it's just, it's, it's kind of even weirder because Burn like leaves the book before that story's done. <laughs> of course. Because <laughs> it's Burton, of course he does. Alright. Um, so he, like, it's not even as if he gets a chance to be like, I would have resolved it differently. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? He literally gets to Wanda's evil. She's like jerked off Simon. He, he was not into it. I'm, I'm done. I'm leaving the boat. <laughs> That's such a what an amazing career goal. Like just finish up that issue. He's like, ah, I quit. And then he just pulls out his little checklist and is like, Scarlet Witch, Wonder Man, hand job, check. And it's like, ah. I- now I'm but on to this. Not into it. Yeah, exactly. What the no? I mean, oh shit! It's uh, so. It's Jeff. I am actually going to send you to Marvel Unlimited to read this issue. Oh my god! And you know what it is because yeah. it's like you you look down the issues of 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 Burns, uh, like West Coast Avengers, mm-hmm. and it's literally the one with like Scarlet Witch holding her hand out and like there's tiny Avengers in it. Right. Exactly. And like, the cover yeah. line, I'm fairly, I could be wrong, but I'm fairly sure the cover line is darker than Scarlet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so bad, Jeff. It's so bad. It's so bad that you should read it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because like, I, I think you'll literally walk away going, yeah, Burn, burn was really bad. Burn is bad. <laughs> burn, burn really does. He's like, ugh. Now you know I read my... talking about yes. Burn is bad. Yes. Um, Namer the Submariner, Burn's 1990s Namer the Submariner series showed up in Unlimited Race. Yes, and I'm, I kind of want to read it. No, you don't. I know. I know. Well, see, this is the problem. Like, I've read like that 12 issues of Alpha Flight or, God, Christ, I say it was 12. I told everyone it was going to be 12. I, no, I think I did. I made it through. It's not 12. I made it pretty cool. I made it, I don't know if I read his whole run, but I'm, I read, I certainly read up to where, I want to say up until Guardian bit it. Yeah, Jesus. that's well. Yeah. Guardian killed us. Right. But, and, and that was pretty terrible crap. And it's going at the same time, as you know, as, as the listeners know, we're discussing, uh, Burns' work in Baxter Building and, and I'm in, mostly enjoying that. And then to dig into the Alpha Fly, I'm like, ugh. And then some of the other stuff that follows, it's just, 
it's funny. I sort of figured that Byrne kind of turned a corner, but it's kind of, in a way, he's a lot like Chris Claremont when I read those crazy-ass issues of Blade or whatever from the Marvel horror anthologies. Like, oh, no, he's kind of this guy all the way along. It's just there's other things to distract right. you. The, the good stuff is the fluke, Jeff. Yeah, that's right. Well, or or just... I, I, actually, I, w- I don't think I'd make an argument for Claremont because I think Claremont, A, is more interesting and B, has a better ratio of good stuff to shit. I think so, too. I think so, too. But it, but I but guess like it's... Burn, burn, I think the good stuff is, is a fluke. And I say that as someone who still has weird, entirely unearned nostalgia for Superman stuff. Well, you're right. I, I mean, again, there's... there's, there's ugh, I don't know. There's just... It is interesting seeing how much of it is it was kind of, like, problematic or boring or just pedantic. You know, like from the real early days. Uh, so, but yeah, so again, re- reading this Superman versus Darkseid stuff, it's like, it's, it's kind of interesting looking at Burn. Cause of course, I, I really like the way he draws Darkseid in Superman. Every time he draws Darkseid, yes. I'm like, it, it yeah, looks. Yeah, Burn, it, especially in the, that like Legends era though. Yeah. Oh, like completely. Legend, the yep. Legends miniseries. Yep. Where he's inked by Carl Kiesel. Yeah. Right. He, like, Darkseid looks fucking amazing there. Yeah, he really does. And it is and it is one of those things where you get the sense that again, it's kinda like, Oh yeah, no, Burn Burn gets the gets this character and then after reading these storylines, I'm sort of like, A, I'm not too sure, and then B uh, again realizing like yeah, for for a guy who really loves Superman and it's kind of funny because there is like in the list of the top 10 most hired Superman tropes like Superman turns evil is kind of like up there I guess like he's Burns not the only guy who likes playing with that a, a lot sure. but yeah but I I never like I always have a particularly bad reaction when he does it and and I, which is weird because I don't know why. Well, it's not only just Superman turns evil. Burn is also fascinated with Superman kills. Right. Well, Cause, yes. Because think exactly. about the end of his run with the the Phantom Zone films. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No. Where, it, like the, the where the entire and it, and it is the end of Burn Run. Right. Where Superman's like, "Yep, you guys are evil. I'm just gonna have to kill you." Yeah. Right. Like I'm, and he pretty much gives a speech, which is. This is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. Right. <laughs> and then afterwards follows it up with kind of a, and that's why I'll never kill again. Yes, exactly. I've now learned not to kill. Yeah, exactly. By killing and realizing that I I am upset. <laughs> I have a sad now. And so I realized I'm never going to kill again. But I'm still logo Superman. Flies off, but that—that that is how it ends. And you're like, "What? Yeah, what? What was this?" And then like Roger Stern comes on, and he's like, "I've got a great idea. Superman's gonna have a fucking nervous breakdown. He's gonna go to space. It's gonna be weird. Right? We're gonna make the books fucking weird for six months." Well, I remember. I do do remember sort of the Superman in space. To me, was kind of like seemed like a decent idea and storyline, especially since it was so relatively. Early on, like, it's like, oh, Superman, as a guy who's exploring space, had a certain amount of heft to it since it was post-crisis and 
a lot yeah, was, of that had been like explored. Three years of the of the comic exactly. after that. You yes. know? And it was like and they made a big point of it. Like Superman this is the first time Superman's really gone into space. Exactly. Right. Is is a big thing in yeah. that storyline. Yeah. But no, I mean you may or may not remember, but like be- between those two things, mm-hmm. Superman has a nervous breakdown and dresses up as Gangbuster at night when he thinks he's asleep oh. and beats dudes up. Right. I what do remember that? that. What's that? For like six months. Yeah, yeah. It's There's like, like an ongoing of Who is Gangbuster? Because remember, like, the, yeah. there'd been a previous Gangbuster who'd been crippled. And they're like, who is Gangbuster? And why is he basically fucking beating the shit out of, of low-level criminals? Was he pre- was and he then, the previous, or was he the guy who followed him and then got crippled? No, no, it's the guy, it's the previous, because Superman is, because the, the whole plot is, is, because that, his name is, again, I'm totally showing this is my, like, Superman heyday, that was Jose Delgado. Yes, yeah. I remember Jose Delgado, who really uh, felt no, like which, a Jerry Ordway creation, and yes. I kind of dug I, him, I, yeah. He was before, and it was, oh, but was only before. for, like, maybe an issue. Uh-huh. Like, he's, he's in it really briefly, and basically he's there to get crippled. Mm. He's there as the, the not everyone can do Superman's job. Right. Um, um, thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, Superman dressed up as gangbuster, but no one knows this, and so it's like, who is the new gangbuster? Is it Jose? And, like, at this period, Jose is also like in therapy mm-hmm. and like maybe he can walk again after all so they're doing a lot of like is it really him and he's like it's not fucking me I'm in a fucking wheelchair you guys why do you think I'm like and Lois is like Jose I love you but it, like you're why are you beating villains up and he's like I'm in a wheelchair why no like you're supposed to be a good reporter why do you think I can get up in the middle of the night um so, but they do that for like a number of issues, and then I, again, I remember all this far so fucking clearly. Um, it's in the middle of the invasion crossover where Guardian is back. They brought back the news by Legion. And Guardian. Yes, that's right, Guardian and all that and, stuff. And, yeah, which and is Gangbuster fun. is fighting Guardian, mm-hmm. and Gang uh, Guardian like rips Gangbuster's uh, vest, and the Superman logo's underneath. <laughs> And then they're like, what? And I remember, like, so I, and again, I might be misremembering, but I'm fairly sure I'm not. Superman Marlis looks at his logo and is like, I've just woken up. What? <laughs> what am I doing here? Man, I got to admit, I've tried pulling that a couple of times in my life, and I, it almost it, never it, works. It's so funny that they're like, they're basically like, you know, maybe Superman's just a dick. Maybe Superman just likes beating people up, and now he's doing the worst fake ever. You guys... I must have had schizophrenia and sleepwalking, right? Yeah, exactly. That, that's totally what's been happening, right? We we can all just let me off with this. Yeah, uh, you know, but it that, happens. That, yeah. yeah, that was when, that, but that's why he went into space. Because he basically was like, I've had a nervous breakdown and I can't be around humans. I have to say, I, um, I think they're kind of leaving money on the table by not doing some sort of omnibus of those first couple of years. Because, of course, the titles are so interconnected. Yeah, they did. They did uh, like eight or nine collections of all of all of it. Right, the burn, and I would love off. to dig into it because because the burn stuff. Uh, it's all in Hoopla, Jeff. I right, I should. Yeah, I would. I love Jerry Ordway's stuff on that. I remember reading it because he was he was of course drawing it from the from early on, and then he took over writing it. And I remember being like. Ordway is a pretty good storyteller. Like, right? Yeah, I mean, it was it was. In a way, it was kind of – it was a little dull, but honestly, 
the Superman books were kind of always a little dull at that point, no matter what they tried to do. But he really was like Ordway. Like a his his art looks beautiful. I it's it's funny looking at that the threefer in uh, the uh, Superman versus Darkseid is like, oh yeah, John Burns art. Yeah, I love how he draws Darkseid. And then I'll get to the Adventures of Superman issue, and I'm like, oh fucking hell, God, Jory Ordway, you. This is so good. Like he just, mm-hmm. I'm I, that that guy is to me. He's just like kind of underrated. I would love to have a big omnibus of his Adventures of Superman stuff because as time I'm goes lo- on, I'm looking, I'm looking right now a cast of characters. You yeah. know, he really took. He's the guy who really built up the the Suicide Slum uh, characters, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. yeah, just yeah, Bippo, yeah, Bippo, right? I, you know, I, I'm looking right now. So the the collection of the Burn Years is called mm-hmm. Superman Man of Steel, and there's nine volumes. Wow! And then last year they did Superman the Man of Tomorrow, which is collecting the next issues. Mm-hmm. So it's the start. It's the, it's Stern and Ordway and Kerry Gamble. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's they did. It doesn't say what issues it is, sadly, but they did like I. It's a forty dollar collection. Oof. Yeah, uh, I should look see and see if it's connect. on. I'll I'll look and see if it's on Hoopla now while you do this. Everybody, talk amongst yourselves. But yes, follow Graham's um, path and check out Batman and the Outsiders for free on Hoopla. And, uh, you know, life is short. I'm not sure you should bother with Superman vs. Darkseid, <laughs> despite the no, fact that it's free. It's, yeah, it, I, on yeah, I quite believe it's terrible. Yeah. Um, Batman Man of Tomorrow, uh, sorry, Superman Man of Tomorrow is Adventures of Superman 445 through 450 and Superman 23 through 27, which is the Superman has a nervous breakdown issues just mm-hmm. before he goes into space. Mm-hmm. Well, there you go. Gotta check that out. There is, Jeff, there is an omnibus. Is there? Jesus. Sense, Superman the Exile and other stories, Omnibus, coming out April this year. Holy Christ. Really? Yep. yep. Four, uh, Adventure Superman 445 through 460. Superman 23 through 27. Action Comics two, uh, 643 through 646. And Action Comics Annual 2. So it's all of the space run. Holy crap. Oh my god. I can't... I, yep. It's kind coming of like... April this year. Oof. Oof. Papa's got some hard yeah, choices. Art to make. is insane, right? The art, the artist lineup: mm-hmm. Ordway, Mike McNola, P. Craig Russell, Kerry Gamble, George Perez, Dan Jurgens, and Keith Giffen. Wow, wow, that is that is crazy. That's yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, I want that, but what I uh, what I really want. Talking about like things that are coming out, they're doing a they're actually doing a Seven Soldiers omnibus this year. Oh shit! Oh, that's great. All of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that that's the one I'm that's the one I'm gonna have to save up for. Yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean because that is it's interesting because I I feel I forget the because the trades. I don't know. It's weird how they're much done two different kinds of collections for that. That's right. There's a four volume one and then there's a two volume one. Right. Right. And I think, I think I have the, I think I, on, again, when DC went crazy, I'm like, oh, I will go crazy with you, DC. And I think I picked up the, the two volume one, uh, in digitally. Mm-hmm. But, but again, part of me is like, I don't, I don't remember if it's like, they, they didn't do it like they did it with the New Gods Omnibus, where they were, it was the issues in order of their publication, was it? Or did they group no, them by it, miniseries? No, it's, it's, it's series by series. Oh, okay. Well, that's a relief. Thank God. 
So, yeah, it's uh, hmm, Seven Soldiers. Yeah, Om- Omnibus. Exciting. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm going to have to get that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, well, let me think. What else? I feel like there's something else. Oh, yeah. Can we talk a little bit about uh, Dark Knight Rising, The Wild Hunt? I can't remember if you and I spent all this time talking about it. Like We did not. I want to say we talked about it last week when we weren't recording. Yeah, that's what I think as well. Uh, before we did the Baxter building. Yeah. And I say that. like We talked about it for maybe 10 minutes. Like We've done other times where we've talked about things for an hour before. Right. <laughs> and then we're like, oh, we're recording a Baxter building. Shit, never mind. <laughs> exactly. Sorry, I... whatnot, but we really have. We yeah. Jeff and I have, have done stuff that we probably should have recorded. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, I Well, so we may not, because I'm sort of like, I don't feel like there's much more to say that I think you and I said the first time to each other, but it still nags me, the wild hunt, how much it feels like it's such a, it's, it's such a Morrison book because Morrison's one of the writers and one of the plotters, but it's also very much Scott Snyder's book and. Well, it's, it's the, the way it was written was. Mm-hmm. From my understanding, right, and so I'm putting that in in case someone comes along and goes, "No, you're wrong." Snyder and Josh Williamson and um, Jim Steinan plotted it, mm-hmm. gave the outline to Morrison. Right. Morrison scripted it and added a shit ton of stuff in the scripting process. Okay, thank you. And then there's a polish by the others. On top After of that. Right. Yeah. Okay. So it is this weird, like, it's, it, I mean, it's incredibly Morrisonian. Mm-hmm. But. But, but uh, not at the same time, not. which is really and, weird. Yeah, yeah. I, and it's, it's like, it's noticeable in the ways that it's not. Yeah. You know? And also, for that matter, the ways that it is Morrisonian feel like a cover band. Mm-hmm. I feel very familiar. I mean, you and I, and we're not the only people to have said this, but we talked about how much it feels like something from Multiversity or Final Crisis. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it literally feels like it should fit in to one of those series. It feels very much like it should fit into Multiversity to me. Yeah. I, I think Multiversity, in part, because so much of it is tied to the idea of the Hall of Heroes and, and a lot well, of moaning but about... But also that it's an unfinished story. Right. It's an unfinished story. There's, there's, you know, a lot of references to Nick's, uh, you know, uh, although he's either absent or incapacitated. What's that? Is he not the guy in the bandages that, that, that like, Bat Joker is, is torturing? Um, I think so, but it's, I don't think it's ever made clear. It's not made explicit about the closest that you can sort of see is. Well, I, I think- I think because that's a, a, a reveal for Metal Issue 6. Right. Because right. that character's appeared in other books. As yes, well. exactly. It's not the time that you've seen them. So I think they're, they're, they're actually waiting for, to like go, ha ha! Right. It's, it's this dude. And you know, given the way that comics work these days, it would not be surprising if they're like, we've unmasked him and ha ha! It's Angela. We've bought her from Marvel after Marvel. <laughs> you know? That would be amazing. Part of me is really, I gotta say, the idea that people could just, that Angela just ends up being like 
the free agent of the current comics universe and like will end up, you know, in Archie in like six years time is <laughs> awesome. That would I be had just a, the best. I had a Marvel person who will remain unnamed this week. Um basically do a alas per Angela we like we we barely knew you and we'll probably never see you again. Yeah, whatever like, happened to her? Did she? She well, she went into Guardians of the Galaxy, right? Exactly. Um, and then kind of proceeded to do nothing in Guardians of the Galaxy, right? Uh, in large part because I'm not sure anything happened in Guardians. Well, of the... exactly. That's certainly the way that it seemed, right? And then, of course, she had her series or mini series that Marguerite Bennett she had, was she had doing, a bunch. right? Yeah, because yeah. uh-huh. there was there was. Uh, I'm going to get these wrong. Angela Asgard's Assassin. Right. Which was then followed by Angela, whatever the Secret War series was called. Mm-hmm. Which was then followed by Angela, Queen of Hell. Right. I think. Yeah. I think. That sounds. Uh, um, that's the lonely one that stuck with me, but yeah. And, and on the one hand, it's actually kind of impressive if you think about it because I want to say an Angela series was in production all told for a year and a half. Mm hmm. Which seems really impressive by Marvel's current standards, <laughs> especially because no, I'm serious. Because especially because uh, Angela is a queer character, mm-hmm. and think of another queer character in Marvel where that's true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, like you know, it it got hit by Secret Wars. It got hit by the, you know, cancelled midway through the run, right. filler series relaunch. Mm-hmm. Thing, when when Marvel had really good sales <laughs> and and you know killed them themselves. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, yeah. That that was uh, that was kind of interesting. We'll definitely have to come back and talk about Marvel and various Marvel stuff. I I yeah, suspect yeah. before the before the, uh, end of the podcast. No, okay, yeah, the, the Wild Hunt feels uh, feels simultaneously very Morrisonian and very much the work of Morrison fans. Right, you know, yeah, exactly. Which, which is on the one hand, part of me is like, I'm glad that he's got fans. I'm glad that there's sort of a weird, and yet I feel there's a, and perhaps this is the nature of of fans and followers um, or artists. Anyways, you take an artist, you emulate, and you more or less have to misunderstand them in order to have your own style. I feel the way in which Snyder gets Morrison doesn't quite get Morrison is interesting. And I think this relates back to what I was thinking about this is like, oh, right, this is how I know that Grime and I talked about this because we talked about the difference between putting stuff in comics because it's dumb and therefore awesome as opposed to putting stuff in comics that that you have to convince yourself is really cool. Like, uh, yeah, and we, we were basically having the, 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 at least I, I might be misremembering, but did we not basically come from the viewpoint of Morrison will do it because it's dumb and therefore it's cool. Whereas Snyder will do it because it's dumb, but he thinks he can make it cool. Yeah, exactly. Like, like Morrison doesn't really feel the need to redeem the dopiness. It, it's fine standing on its own. 
Snyder's got to kind of go and reach, which is interesting because I, as you, as I recall, and listeners, if you haven't had a chance, um, you know, among the uh, various wonderful things that Graham has done, uh, he did a great uh, little sort of roundtable of Snyder and Morrison talking uh, about the Wild Hunt for the Hollywood Reporter, which has uh, Graham mostly merrily interjecting stuff, but. The, oh, yeah, it has me, has me totally shutting up because yeah. the two of them were talking to each other, which is, which was great. I, I said on Twitter this week that, like, ideal San Diego panel would be Morrison and Snyder and Jeff Johns just nerding out about how the DC universe works. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because I had that conversation with them and at one point they just start talking to each other about, like, you know, as you remember that, you know, Rex the Wonder Dog was always part of Detective Chimp. Right. And then, like, Detective Chimp means this. You know, and, and it, it really was like a, I'm shutting up because this is gold. Right. Exactly. You know, and I really was yeah. just like, I'd love to hear, like, John's get involved. And because I've said this before to you, and I can't remember if I've said it on the podcast or not. Like, I've had enough off the record conversations with Jeff Johns about how he thinks the DC Universe works. Mm hmm. To know that, like, it's fucking fascinating, and it's in step enough with how Grant sees it, mm-hmm. but different enough that I'd love to see them talk about it. Hmm. Because what Jeff Johns has said to me is so at odds with the public perception of how people think Jeff Johns sees the DC Universe. Like, he sees it as much more optimistic, and much, much lighter because the, the joke about Johns is like, oh, and then everyone gets their arm ripped off. Mm-hmm. And everything has to be grim. Mm-hmm. And he, like, he doesn't, not that he doesn't see that, because he's, he's well aware of the joke. Mm-hmm. But, like, his, in, his implicit understanding of the DC universe is very similar. Uh, you've read JLA Earth 2, right? The Morrison book? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Morrison Quietly? Right. So explicit in that is, the good guys win in the DC universe. Right. Like, that's that's literally the way the universe works. Mm-hmm. The bad guys win in, in the Earth 2 universe. The good guys win in the DC universe. Right. And Johns has that too. Mm-hmm. But Johns has it in a different direction. Like, he and I had a conversation once about the DC is inherently more optimistic than Marvel. Right. But his thinking was, it has to be because Legion of Superheroes exists. And Legion of Superheroes is literally an in-continuity argument that everything turns out all right. Mm-hmm. That they prove, they, their very existence inherently proves that DC is is somewhere where the good guys win. Hmm. You know, so it's not, it's not Morrison's, the good guys win because they win. Right. right? Johns has created a, stero- a narrative reason for this. The good guys have to win because in the 30th century, well, like, there is utopian future. I I mean, it's a it's a splitting of hairs, but I mean, Morrison is more or less saying the good guys win because it's a, essentially it's an inherent quality of the universe of the yes, Earth. yes exactly. So so I mean, it, it is a little bit of the you know. Um, you know, it's a different form of of hand wavery, but it does go down at least an additional level deep. And of course, to me, one of the things that is intriguing about it was the idea, at, at least when Morrison was posited it, 
positing it was like, okay, here's an evil universe where they never lose and they're going up against the good guys who also never loses and essentially what's going to exactly. happen. So, you know? Yeah, someone has to lose. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, got, yeah. yeah. Which, which I, which I really, you know, was, was a, was a fun, quirky way of, of creating super high stakes, I guess, for the, for the book, right? So, I don't know, it's, it's interesting to me, it's so funny, I'm like, ah, the Legion of Superheroes, I'm like, maybe that's really part of the problem with, I mean, I, John says that, but like, he, the DC Universe, which is as much, I mean, he's as much one of the three captains of the ship, has no place for the for the LOSH currently. Well, they can well, never that, seem that, to squeeze that. That's in. what makes it fascinating, mm-hmm. uh, because uh, I think, and I I could be wrong, because I like I've not actually talked about this with him, mm-hmm. but I reread the Rebirth special this week, mm-hmm. um, and I think the Rebirth special is. As much as like John's been like, I am setting up Doomsday Clock, and like I am setting up a, a relaunch of the line. Mm-hmm. I think there's very much a mission statement for how John sees DC mm-hmm. in there, and the Legion's there, right? Yeah, right. And the Legion's there, even though they haven't had a book for four years at that point. Mm-hmm. But also, the Legion then disappears immediately afterwards again. <laughs> Like, Saturn Girl is in the special. Right. And Saturn Girl is, like, nodded to in the the Batman Flash crossover. Mm-hmm. And you get the villains of the Legion showing up mm-hmm. in different places. But the Legion still, like, the only times we've seen Legion apart from that is, like, in a Bugs Bunny cro- comic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think you're right. I think I think there's this weird thing where it's, like, you know, following following the logic through... If the Legion proves that the DC universe is inherently optimistic, mm-hmm. but there's no place for the Legion in the co- in DC Comics right now, right? Which what does that say about where everyone else sees the DC universe? Yeah, right, right, right. How you know, and, and or because part of me is like, oh God, I wonder if the the idea that that uh, I can't even wrap my brain around the idea that the Legion is going to pop up at the end of Doomsday Clock. Oh, I'm I'm. I completely believe it is, and I yeah. think that because uh, that's the thing. Reading the Rebirth special again, mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh, all of this is going, somehow going to come into play mm-hmm. in Doomsday Club. Mm-hmm. and I don't quite know where. Mm-hmm. But it's did I tell you my whole? And I know you're not following Doomsday Clock, so it doesn't really like matter. Yeah, but uh, do you know what happens in issue three? Did we ever talk about it? I don't think we did. No. Um, I'm going to say this and you're just going to get mad. So just like, <laughs> okay. except you're going to get mad. The beginning of issue three is the comedian ends up in the DC universe. Right. By undoing the beginning of Watchmen. He gets thrown out the window and he lands in the DC universe. <laughs> right? Okay. Uh, and and it's, it's, it's left vague enough that it could be because definitely the comedian then says dialogue later, which suggests that he did actually die mm-hmm. in the Watch universe, and then like suddenly woke up in the DC universe, mm-hmm. and it, it's it's left vague. Mm-hmm. But he shows up, and then his his button shows up after him, mm-hmm. 
like two packs later. And I suddenly was like, oh shit, that's what happened. His button disappears, shows up in the Rebirth special, mm-hmm. shows up Batman Flash crossover, and then shows up. <laughs> in, in, like, his button, like, disappears from Watchmen, shows up in these three other comics, mm-hmm. and then shows up in this comic again. Hmm. And that was the point where I was like, th- like, everything in Rebirth is somehow gonna show up in, in, in Doomsday Clock. Mm-hmm. To some degree. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, What's his name? Johnny Thunderbolt. Johnny Thunderbolt? Johnny Thunder? Yeah, Whatever Johnny Thunder. Mm-hmm. Is in Doomsday Clock. Hmm. And that's a really throwaway part of Rebirth. Mm-hmm. You know, but he's, he seems to actually be important in Doomsday Clock. Hmm. Uh, he's he's essentially the kid at the, the newsstand for Doomsday Clock. Hmm. Uh, which I kind of love. And again... I'm reading a lot into what Johnson Frank are intending. Mm-hmm. But I love that a kid reading comic book is replaced by an old man. <laughs> you know? Right. There's some weird meta text there. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's intentional. I w- knowing John's, I would say that it would be, you know? Because definitely... It feels, like, it feels like it's intentional. Mm-hmm. But it might not be. But the short version is um, the Tales of the Black Freighter have been replaced by Nathaniel Dark in Doomsday Clock. Hmm. But Nathaniel Dark is now a movie series. So you also have movies replacing comic books. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a movie series that if you read through the back matter, I... I and this is very much me speculating. I have no idea if this is true or not. Mm-hmm. Mad- manages to tie in a fuck ton of DC continuity hmm. that has not been referenced in like 30 years. Really? All-Star Squadron, Blue Devil, mm-hmm. Sergeant Rock, uh, Doom Patrol are all referenced in the back matter and all tied together to Nintendo Dark, which again is a series that hasn't been printed in 30 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Nathaniel uh, Dark. Who's that? I'm getting confused with Nathaniel Dusk, the Don McGregor. That's what, sorry, that's, that's exactly who it is. That's oh, okay. Exactly oh, okay. Fabulous. Oh, okay. Hey, excellent. Um, the Gene Cullen series, right? Yeah, Gene Cullen and Don, Don McGregor. McGregor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like the back matter is like, it's written by John Law, and John Law is an All-Star Squadron character. Mm-hmm. He's a, he's he's a, uh, the Tarantula, an All-Star Squadron hero. Wow. But he's accused of murdering his partner, and I have the weirdest feeling that his partner's going to end up being Dr. Manhattan. Hmm. That it's going to be a fake death. Um, but, like, in, in all the back matters, like, and also, like, so-and-so and so-and-so, who know John Law, happen to be the parents of Rita Farr. Rita Farr being the Doom Patrol person. Uh, like, they're all working for Werner Bros, which, if you read Blue Devil, is the Warner Bros parody in Blue Devil. Mm. So you have this weird thing where Johns is writing references to what DC was publishing at the same time as it was publishing Watchmen. Right. In the back matter and in the background of this book, which is com- like very much Watchmen invades the DC universe. Mm-hmm. And like they, they, 
they come into the DC universe in the, uh, the circus fair from Killing Joke. So it's fucking weird. It's all fucking weird and meta. Yeah. You know, and it's like, how much is this is, like, Easter eggs? Especially because, like, the Stuart Lee thing turned out to be an Easter egg. Right. And it wasn't like a, a like, let's try and piss off Alan Moore thing. Because mm-hmm. Gary Frank knows Stuart Lee. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that storyline. And part of me was just like, oof. But, you know, of course there's yeah, also part of me that's like... It's, it's tone deaf as shit. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't think anyone thought that one through. Um, but that's just it. Like, how much of it is, you know, how much of, am I just reading things in? And Jeff Johnson's just like, I read DC Comics back then. Right. And how much of it is commentary? Yeah, I'd be, I'd be curious. I mean, that's the thing. The noises that, that Johns has made is, is that Doomsday Clock is going to be very heavy on the commentary. You know, like it's it's. Yeah, and definitely from, from talking to him and Frank, mm-hmm. like they are. There's nothing that goes in that they're not aware of, mm-hmm. apart from, like East. Like you can be aware of an Easter egg and not be aware of like an intention behind the Easter egg. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Like you make unintentional commentary, because just going like, yeah, I'm making a like. There's a difference between I'm making a Blue Devil joke, mm-hmm. and. I am purposefully saying this is the forgotten history of DC Comics because Watchmen came in and overshadowed everything. Mm-hmm. You know, they're very different things, and it's it's like it's too early to actually tell which one John's doing. Mm-hmm. But it make makes a fucking fascinating read. Yeah, I'm yeah. not I'm not trying to sell you on it at all. Oh, I don't worry. I you literally there's no. I just part of yeah, me. Is I think like, honestly, like you, you would spend every issue just being like. I am upset at this on two levels. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Really, I, I, I yeah. really think you would. I, I think you would be simultaneously upset, um, like at the like personally affronted at the use of Watchmen, mm-hmm. um, but also like I think it would upset you on a craft level the same way that like King's Batman does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Where you just be like, I am, I am, I am getting nothing out of this twice. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes indeed. Yes. Hey, you mentioned Don McGregor. I mean, actually I mentioned Don McGregor. Uh I have to say he's got he's got a great little uh story in the Black Panther annual which came out this week and oh, uh that? I You know, I'd be curious to see if you how you would feel about it because I think that um you know, it's it's a it's a it's a good little story from Priest uh, that actually functions as kind of like a story and kind of like a great, which I, I don't doubt that he intends it that, this way. It's both an epilogue in a way to his Black Panther work and a prologue if you've never read his Black Panther work. Like it, you oh, know, so it, I feel like it really sets up the, oh yeah, you can go from here and if you like this stuff here, you can jump right into the priest collections and you will sure, yeah, dig yeah, it. Yeah. If, uh, if you like this. Right, yeah. exactly. McGregor's piece is, is sort of a, unsurprisingly a non-story. I mean, it's very much a, a tone poem, tone poem. It's God help me. That sounds uh, both 
horrible but yet apt um where McGregor's kind of got a here's a here's a character that was important to my run that is dead and here's the characters in you know other characters addressing it and of course for me I'm like it's pretty great uh not least of which from this idea of like Don McGregor's like 72 so <laughs> his his the, the you know what I mean like at that age if you're publishing work and it's about mortality and how people are remembered um it's and also about the idea of like you've definitely lost people in your life by that point so it's got a it's got a bit of heft and then um there's there's a Reginald Hudlin story in there and uh I would love to diss that cuz I'm not a I'm not a huge <laughs> fan I'm really not a fan of, of the the little work that I read from Hudlin of Black Panther. But apart from the fact that he could not give two shits about making sure anyone sounds like, uh, you know, sounds like, quote unquote, themselves, much less sounding like everyone else in the story. Like there's just an impressive lack of versatility when it comes to the voices. Kind of what he's laying down is is something that I was like, oh, it's not bad, you know. I mean, honestly, I've read worse, and I sort of what like. Is done? He, he's basically it's, um, it it. I mean, it doesn't really go anywhere new. Like by the first page, you're like, okay, I'm pretty sure I'm going to know what the last page is. But it is, um, it's T'Challa walking with his granddaughter, uh, through. Um, I don't know, kind of like a, you know, kind of his sort of fortress of solitude style of, of battle trophies. And it's more or less about how he goes on to take, Wakanda goes on to take over the world as an extension of Hudlin's run. Because in it, it has a lot to do with, um, Panther taking out, God, who does he take out first? Is it is it Doctor Doom and then Magneto? But basically, he has the reasons why he goes about taking down the people that he does, and part of a lot of that has to do with, of course, since he's still married to Storm, their children end up. Um, so it's like Hudlin is literally just continuing on from where you left off. Well, I mean, kind of a little bit, uh, unsurprisingly, um, you know, as I feel like writers sometimes do. Because I feel like this is a little bit of a trope of like, oh, it's the far future, and then you sort of see the like the storyline of how it would play out. Except, except I guess that's sort of the twist, which is maybe not. Which is along the lines of he's talking about how he conquered certain sections of the world, and more and more people fell behind them, and they were great that they were so grateful that Doctor Doom was gone and Magneto was gone, and he was drawing more people, and then they talked about, oh God, what is it? The mar oh, there was the marriage um between one of Namor's uh kids or cousins with one of the Black Panther's children. So Atlantis to basically prevent the submariner you know, the pan the Panther and Submariner basically end up um having to make nice even though they still hate each other because of this marriage and the two kingdoms are brought together and basically the jump to the end is out of all the various trophies that you've seen such as Magneto's helmet and uh Doom's armor or Ultron's armor you see uh Iron Man's armor and so there's there's the hint that 
you know, some something along the lines of T'Challa is like, yeah, I had to conquer the world, but sort of like I had to give up all my friends to do it or something, you know. And so it's the idea is like, oh yeah, he really does. It means that he would have had to to turn and kick the ass of 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 all the rest of the Marvel superheroes. Shock and gasp. Which you know, honestly, I'm like, so is this like the Squirrel Girl book? <laughs> <laughs> Well, yes and no. I mean, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's very much, I mean, kind of of a piece. And there is part of me that, that I have to say, walking out of the Black Panther movie, um, I, in a way, I kind of almost have a little more respect for that idea, I guess. Um, before, Wait, what idea? I'm sorry. The idea, uh, essentially the idea at the end of Hudlin's story, which is essentially like, oh, uh, before I would have very much seen it as, as Wakanda's the best and therefore it's going to have to kick everyone's asses, including the asses of the Marvel superheroes, you know, because T'Challa's going to, the, the, the future that he imagines, the world peace that he imagines is going to be opposed by uh, our superheroes for various reasons. And, sure. and I think part of me was, again, I, before seeing the Black Panther movie, I was a little bit, uh, but one of the things that I really enjoyed about the Black Panther movie, and if you want to talk about it, I should wave the big spoilers flag here for listeners, um, is how aware the movie is, uh, and depending on how you look at it, either compromised by or very much validated by this awareness that um, Wakanda is this great and amazing place, but that is not the way that it is for African Americans and the rest of the world, you know, and that, that essentially um, the struggle between Killmonger, Eric Killmonger and the Panther in the movie, which is really kind of amazing and awesome does point to a lot of interesting issues very much outside the box about about what about, essentially about you know America as a country that is very much a an instrument of white supremacy and how that that is inherently in conflict with what Wakanda should be, I guess. Mm-hmm. I suppose. Well, that, that's just that there's a lot of of um, subtext slash text in mm-hmm. Black Panther that is is what are the responsibilities for the leader of the the world? Right. Like if if you are or you believe yourself to be the most advanced nation in the world, mm-hmm. what responsibilities do you have to the rest of the world? Right. Um, and you know, within the, the the fictional framework of the film, that's Wakanda. But obviously, outside the fictional framework of the film, that's America. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and so you have it's it's a, an impressing, impressively political, apolitical film, right? Do you know what I mean? Like, because at no point they're like, "Well, isolationism is not a valid U.S. policy," mm-hmm. because. Mm-hmm. But they're pretty much saying that. Do you know what I mean? Like, so it's, it's uh, but at the same time, even within the film, even though they don't say, they don't address that directly, they outright say, 
America is a racist country. Yeah. And it and is built upon white supremacy and uh, and also um implicitly but not explicitly and the lack of explicitness is a problem for me. They don't say that that's wrong, I guess. Uh, they don't say which part's wrong. The isolationism or the... That, that America's built of white supremacy is wrong. Like, I, I, I feel that that is, that is voiced, uh, that is voiced through Killmonger, mm-hmm. who, as the villain of the piece, gives, uh, uh, an out to people. Well, who yeah. Want to be like, yeah, but he's a bad guy. Maybe he's, you know, Maybe he's just a bit extreme. No, absolutely. I mean, the the I think the reason why I like Black Panther as much as I did, and and to be fair, it's one of those movies that I went in being like, oh, this is going to be great, and walked out being like, oh, that that was totally pretty good. You know, like I didn't love it. Oh, I loved it. I know, I, I, and I, I remember I, talking to you, and you're I, like, and I, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's the strongest Marvel movie by fucking far. Yeah, I think that's probably true. I'm not sure that that's... I don't know. Oh, true. Like, that's not the highest of bars. To yeah, call. exactly. I mean, there, there's something where it's like, Black Panther has a lot of stuff. Well, let's put it this way. I I, I am perfectly willing to, to say that it's more than understandably... There's a lot of things, a lot of its charms aren't necessarily for me. It's great that it, of course, I'm like, they're clearly for you, Graham. They're clearly, it's designed to be appreciated by the Scottish, you know, but, uh. <laughs> sure, I, that's exactly who the film is designed for. Clearly, yeah. clearly aimed, um, you know, and, uh, uh but I mean, but I, but I enjoyed it. It was just more a little bit of little bits of execution e type stuff. Like it, it honestly, like Thor Ragnarok, which a lot of people loved. Um, I enjoyed Thor Ragnarok, and I walked out being like, yeah, that was kind of solidly okay. But like little bits and there's little bits and pieces where I'm kind of like, it just needed a little bit more for me. You know what I mean? Like it's always kind of like, eh, like the jokes, those aren't. As funny as it could be, or eh, the design's great, but the design's a little skimpy, or eh, these fights are good, but they're not great. You know, it's really just very much like the acting's great and the ambitiousness is great. The the fact that you've got a villain that is is profoundly meaningful. You know, in the in the sense of it was great to have someone come out make their case and and you know have me be like, gosh, I'm. You know, sort of the I want to root for this guy, which is one of the well, that, things. Mm-hmm. Matt Terrell and I said this in email afterwards. We were like, "He's wrong, but he's not wrong." Well, see, that's it, and I mean, I think that's one of the things that I think is kind of interesting in the movie is is that the he's wrong, but he's not wrong part is the 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 he's wrong parts feel very weird and tacked on. You know, it's like there's there's some people on Black Twitter who talk about the idea that Black Panther is, you know, an evil film, and I kind of get that because they're like this. The movie is about an Af- is about a country being aided by the CIA to shut down, um, you know, a revolutionary force that wants to 
help the help end oppression, you know? And mm-hmm. yeah, that's 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 all that's that is literally a description of the film, you know? And one of the things that's problematic is is the way in which uh Eric Killmonger is um kind of a weird like his weird villainous like they more or less kind of have him kick a dog one or two at, at, you know at a point well like, yeah I mean there's parts where he's like burn all the herbs yeah exactly and it's like but like sh- sure right but this this like you're this is this is a bit much right well, like I, I already knew he wasn't stable he doesn't have to be like just try all of your your traditions. Well, because I because to me he didn't really come across as that unstable until that moment. That moment and the fact oh, where yes. yeah no I no I kind of his his whole like I'm pissed off and angry and like aggrieved. shooting his girlfriends to get Claude didn't strike you as maybe he was a little unhinged. Oh okay yeah I guess that part you know it's hard for me on that part that part's so forgettable for me because it's. Because understandably, in order to get the rating that they get, it's kind of hard to tell that he shot yeah, like, her intentionally. Did he shoot her, her leg? Yeah. Right. Well, no, seriously, because she's lying there and there's no blood, and you're kind of like, okay, they're doing the vacant stare, so it's you know what I mean. It's they had to convey it, but in a weird way. But yeah, you're right. That that part's a little eh. Although, again, I'm like, eh. again, there's one or two little points where it's like, oh, okay, here's his heel turn that seems to happen for no other reason than to establish that he's a heel, I guess. Um, and that was my thing. Honestly, the point, the part that I thought was interesting is, is that despite the person who's trying to say, like, yeah, Wakanda's talking about, you know, Wakanda's this country helped by the CIA to suppress, you know, an, an uprising. Uh, Ross literally quickly, and it's more or less, it's never given really any real weight, uh, up, is saying like, this is what this guy was trained to do by us. Go into countries at times of, you know, great internal strife and more or less destroy the power structure from within. You know, mm-hmm. and so Ross is the only one who's more or less hit, saying like, "This guy learned these tools from us, and and the reason why we use them is purely to take power." And it would have been nice, in a way, if there had been a little more ambiguity about Killmonger's purpose in that sense. Because for me, it's very much at the whole stage of I'm believing everything that he's doing it for the reasons that he says that he's doing it. And again, there's a little bit of the, you know, for me, it's, it's like, I, I, I would love to see, um, you know, black people throughout the world given vibranium weapons and be able to, to fight off oppression. Like that's awesome. Right. That's really so powerful and evocative, you know, and it's also like bringing that up. And, and Killmonger bringing that up really does make you uh, introduce a really interesting piece of moral ambiguity into the film. Right. Because you are like, well, why haven't... Like, you've already shown us in the beginning of the film that Wakanda is involving itself in the outside world. Right. No matter what they tell the people. Mm-hmm. But it hasn't done anything. Well, you know I mean, like it, it is, it is implicitly supported. 
I, and I think part of that is the way in which I mean, there's a number of factors of that, but part of that is the way that that the movie takes several very different versions of Wakanda and telescopes them into one place. You know what I mean? Like, there's very much the hidden kingdom of Wakanda that's kind of the original conception of the character of of the place from Mm -hmm. FF through Don McGregor's run. And then there's the idea from Priest's run that it's like, this is a kingdom and this is run by, you know, of it's a very smart, technologically advanced kingdom. And so they're going to have war dogs. They're going, the king's going to have a guard. You know, there's going to be, there's going to be infrastructure and ideas there about, you know, of course they're going to interact with the world and they're going to inter, but they're going to do it in ways that sort of preserve, you know, preserve Wakanda and get what Wakanda wants. You know, essentially the idea of the Wakanda being, um, not an afterthought, sort of the way that it ends up being in the stories in between Don McGregor's stuff and T'Challa's first appearance in, in the FF, um, you know, Wakanda sort of becomes the goal and the purpose of why things are done the way they're done in uh, Priest Run. And honestly, I haven't read enough of Ta-Nehisi Coates to actually be like, oh yeah, and him too. God only knows, you know. For- I For a, like, just a second, I, I want to say that one of the smartest things Marvel did was make the first volume of that available digitally for free in the weekend, opening weekend of Black Panther. Smart, but weird, right? Like, I'm kind of... It would be nice if it had they actually told people. Well, again, this is that weird thing with Marvel. That's... uh, Which uh, we may or may not want to discuss. But yeah, Marvel made the first volume free and the next two volumes, like, 99 cents. So... For three dollars, you could pick up the first nine issues. For two dollars. Two dollars, right? Sorry, for of course, two dollars you can pick up the first yep. year of that book. Yeah, exactly. Which is, on the one hand, part of me is like, it's brilliant, but the, but again, the fact that it's digital, the fact that they didn't advertise it, to me, just is again, it's that weird, like, we're going to ensure that Black Panther tops the charts the opening weekend so that, you know, we can turn around and show people at Disney, like, huh, see? The reaction to this is so crazy. I find myself weirdly okay with that in a way that I'm not okay with a lot of their other tricks. It's it's manipulative, though, Graham. It's it's technically deceitful. You know what I mean? (laughs) Well, I know, but I see, and that's that's kind of my thing. This is my thing, is is that, and again, perhaps we should have covered this part first, but if Marvel is basically going to treat retail, the retailers in the direct marketplace like untrustworthy to the point of of more or less incarcerating them in the room for the presentation and then turning around and giving away the volumes digitally on Amazon and offering no form of equal opportunity there. Yeah, Yeah, reciprocity is... um, 
it's, I mean, not only is that the opposite of what Marvel needs to accomplish in the direct market right now, but is so, um, it's either tone deaf or it points to a really deep sign of desperation on Marvel that I find creepy. Like, I was talking to Mike Meltzer on Twitter and I think he more or less, he was literally laughing at me when I was talking about the idea that Marvel's per- perpetuating a form. Because well, it started with us talking about Funko. And Funko, as you know, Graham, is the providers Marvel for the Marvel Collector yeah. Core box. A few weeks back, I got an email, and this was hilarious, where they're like, Hey, good news, true believers. We're canceling the Marvel Collector Core boxes. Like, your subscription really? is... Over, yeah, oh yeah, they're, they're ending it, Graham. They're ending it with like, like such weird, like, and it's great because it, like, they did learn well, something. Well, I mean, from you, you did once they... cancel it. Well, yeah, but, you know, I mean, that's the thing that I thought was <laughs> hilarious is that they, it was bad enough that they like fucked me on the whole like, oh, you've got to resubscribe and it's got to be for a year and now you're locked in. And, and they send this thing back on February 16th that says, Dear valued customer, important changes are coming to the Marvel Collector Core subscription service that will impact your annual subscription and the way you f- purchase future boxes. Please review the changes below and visit the Collector Core blog for more information. Changes to your subscription. In an effort to allow Funko to focus on what they do best, creating quality, unique, collectibles, Funko will be discontinuing the subscription offering for the Collector Core box on <laughs> oh, April man, like... 16th, 2018. <laughs> it, like, we're making some changes. Just read on. It's nothing special. It's just a few changes. Yeah. Changes. We're killing it. Yes. And this is the great... They walk. try to walk it back in the least convincing follow-up paragraph afterwards. Have no fear. The boxes aren't disappearing completely. After the discontinuation date of the subscription offering, Funko will be transitioning the Marvel Collector Core collector boxes to retail. Funko will be partnering with an exclusive retailer to deliver a Marvel Collector Core box as a retail offering. Stay tuned for upcoming details. What does that actually mean? Like, is your subscription over? My subscription is they is and this so your is subscription a, is ending in April. Is ending in April. And then they will ship have to, one like, more box. Anyone who wants, yeah. Everyone who wants to keep getting them, yeah, will have to pay individually from a retailer. Is that what they're saying? Yes, that that there's literally they're just like yeah, we're not we're going to offer it through retail, but they just say a box, and I'm like yeah, you're not. There's something that's. I mean, it just smells. So it's like there's an Avengers box that's coming out in April. And I, I was originally – because there's a box that was supposed to ship this month. And I'm like, wait, is is the Avengers box the box that's shipping this month? And it was great because a few days later I got the – your your Marvel Collector Core box is shipping soon. And I'm like, okay, what is it? And there was no details, no nothing. I'm like – They're like, it's the, the fucking box, box? right? Yeah. It's the Marvel Collector box of, like, shit we have around the office. Oh, yes, Graham. You're 100% correct. The Marvel Collector <laughs> Core box's theme was, quote-unquote, Animal Instinct. and <laughs> I was going to say Jungle Action, so I wasn't a million miles away. You weren't. Jungle Action would make more sense. I mean, and you look inside there. It comes with a Black Panther wobbly, and there's some okay. some things of it. Well, what, like, what else is Animal Instinct? Wolverine? 
Oh, no, Graham. There's the Rhino as a Funko. There is a, a not very good um, recreation of Squirrel Girl as the patch. She more or less looks like... Uh, she kind of looks like a leprechaun with like a really crazy tail, essentially. There is a uh, Rocket Raccoon pen and uh, notepad uh, that looks like utter freebie crap. Normally there's like a collector pin that they, um, that they do in the classic old style, you know, that I adore. They leave that out. Normally there's a little page that talks about their design choices and what they chose and what they were going to do. They didn't bother putting that in there either. And then they gave us a Howard the Duck shirt that is on the one hand, thank God. He's also an animal. Also an animal. Indeed, Graham. There you Indeed. Go. It, it, it's, it's thematically appropriate. Yeah. Even as Steve Gerber rolls over in his grave. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, pretty much. I mean, because it, it's very much the uh, current Marvel. Like, it's it's him in a trench coat with like... It, like it, I can't even describe it. You know, like a noir Howard the Duck... But in, instead of black and white, it's done in like a lot of day glow. And so it's, oh, no. it's gruesome. Oh, no. I really was. I was like, I'm kind of shocked there's not a sticker that's like, take the Funko challenge and wear this in public, you know? Cause it... <laughs> so what you're saying is an SMSE, you're definitely going to be wearing it. Oh God. Yes, Graham. Yes. Yes. Good call. <laughs> In fact, I'm sending it to you to wear to Emerald City Comic Con so that you... Mm, thanks. I, too, can say, sorry, Steve Garber. <laughs> exactly. So, and, of course, I had that moment of, like, oh, my God. Like, if they just had the Howard the Duck for president stuff, like, it's, it just kills me. Part of me is, like, the exactly. Marvel Collector Corps is just... It's not that hard. Yeah. It's not that hard. Anyway, this was the final box, a bag of crap, and then they're, they've got the Avengers box, the Avengers of Infinity War box that they're, oh, which is amazing because the last Collector Core box, uh, is the Infinity, Avengers Infinity War box. It's a limited edition and... Wait, isn't everything a limited edition? Theoretically? Well, in like theory, if... no, but this is more so. Let's see. As of today, all annual subscription accounts will have auto renew turned off on their annual renewal date. Therefore, if you've reached your annual renewal date, your account status will move from an active subscriber to an account holder. You will not be receiving the current Avengers Infinity War collection box. As an account holder, you will need to log into your account to purchase the Avengers Infinity War collectibles box. And then underneath, under box availability, the inventory of Marvel Collector Core Avengers Infinity War collectible box offered by Funko will be limited. Existing annual subscribers will be guaranteed a box with the balance of inventory offered to all account holders. So they've literally that done this. Sounds like bullshit. It sounds like total bullshit. So, and in theory, I will get a, um, they they make it sound like I will get a uh, a partial refund for my un, unused balance after that point. Well, you'd better. 
Well, yeah, but considering how fucking shady they've been. Anyway, I was complaining about it on uh, Twitter and, and good old Al Kennedy from the uh, amazing House to Astonish podcast mentioned that Funko apparently quietly announced at Toy Fair that they're closing down all of their subscription services. And part of why Mike Meltzer and I started talking about fraud was the fact that Funko is actually being sued in a class action by, no. yeah, for misrepresenting themselves, uh, let's see, in, for the investment opportunity. Because Funko was, was gearing up to do a 401, uh, 401k, a, um, <laughs> uh, an IPO? Yeah, an IPO. And, um, let's see here, Funko lawsuit. Uh, oh, Gibson's also suing Funko over guitar designs. That's exciting. Uh, lawsuit for investors in shares of Funko Inc. Let's see. Let's open this up here. Uh, ba, 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 ba. uh, yes. Investors who purchase shares of Funko, um, should contact the shareholders foundation. Funko went public in early November 2017 and its shares reached as high as $8.71 per share. Wow. Since then, Funko has faced media scrutiny concerning what one outlet referred to as, quote, funhouse accounting, unquote. According to the oh, complaint, wow. the plaintiff alleges that the defendants violated federal security laws by Funko in connection with the company's initial public offering held on or about. Oh, they actually did do it. I thought they were called it off. The plaintiff claims the defendants violated sections 11, 12, and 15 of the Securities Act of 1933 as amended by making allegedly materially misleading statements and by omitting material facts necessary to make the statements therein not misleading. Certain documents filed in connection with the IPO contained materially false and or misleading statements and or failed to disclose that Funko's earnings growth trends were not as strong as suggested, that Funko's EBITDA growth trend was not representative of its prospects, and consequently Funko's registration statement and prospectic uh, prospectus were materially misleading at all relevant times. Not cool. Oh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not not good days for Funko. So it is kind of hard for me to look at that and the big difference between what Funko is doing and what I feel that Marvel is doing, which is hitting units and dollar figures um, by goosing things via digital either the firehouse sales or by more or less giving away copies. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. They've got to be hitting unit sales, but not... But see, like, but if if they're literally giving it away or doing it for a dollar... Right. Like, uh, it's, it's... But see, that's it's the weird. genius of it. Yeah. And, and as I was... So as I was saying to Meltzer, like, if Marvel was still being owned was its own stock and not owned by Disney, some smart seller, short seller would like totally dig in and expose this shit. But as it is, it's even though it makes a, the, the film department makes a lot of money for Marvel, uh, for Disney, I don't think that anyone really has the interest in dragging this stuff out to light. But I feel like if it did, it would not be 
um, viewed especially favorably. Like it's it is it's very Marvel's being creepily deceptive in the way that it's handling its management, its it, and its sales these days. That it, and it it's it's a it's a little alarming. You know, and I feel like we all kind of play it off because it's like, oh, ha, 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 Marvel, they're such dicks. Oh, you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of like we're like, oh, yeah, of course, that's Marvel. They're going to be horrible to the retailers. But this is at this other level of like. Wait, wait, we should put some of this into context. When we're talking about like Marvel doing this to retailers, we're talking about the Comics Pro presentation. Yeah. Which happened this week in Portland. Thank you. Um. Comics Pro is an annual meeting. Uh, retailers come up. They're given presentations by a, a bunch of different um, uh, com- publishers right? Uh, who basically are like, this is what we're doing over the next year. It, no press is allowed in. That's it right. is literally retailers and publishers, and that is it. Well, it's not like – sorry. What? Sorry. No, no, no. I, I'm so sorry, Graham, because the only thing I want to interject is in theory, it's uh, here's what we're doing for the coming year – but it's also more of an attempt to from, find out from the retailers sort of like how are we doing oh, and yeah. what should uh, yeah. we I, be doing differently. Ideally, it's it's a conversation. Yes, exactly. In theory, it's a conversation. Yeah. Uh, and to be fair, I, I say that like it, like no one treats it like a conversation. Uh, everything I've heard about this year and for that matter previous years, mm-hmm. it's a conversation for everyone who is not Marvel. That's right. Exactly. Uh, I know specifically from this year, DC's actually gotten a lot of plaudits for basically not only listening to questions, but trying to offer answers. Yes. Which is not always the case. That's right. Uh, but yeah, so this year's event, uh, Marvel freaked out. Mm-hmm. Um, Marvel made retailers give their phones up ahead of time. Did you know that? Yeah, no, I didn't. I I I heard that they had to give yeah. their phones up, but I didn't. Yeah, know. yeah. Um, and apparently, like, we're not very forthcoming, shall we say? Mm-hmm. Um, because they were really worried that someone was going to leak online because they're that paranoid about leaks. Um, something that has leaked online, and Jeff, you saw me talk about this, is that apparently C.B. Sabalski was supposed to be there and was not, uh, because, and again, this is this has been said publicly, so I am not like breaking any confidence in saying this. Apparently, someone from Marvel told the people at Comics Pro that C.B. Sabalski was not there because he had passport problems getting back into the country. Wow, which. Uh, it should be pointed out, other people who are, um, shall we say, more supportive of Marvel mm-hmm. say that is bullshit. Yeah. Uh, and that it was literally flight logistics. But nonetheless, if someone from Marvel actually said that... Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. Um, I have no idea what Marvel actually said. The, the, the putting the fear of God into people worked. People are not talking about what Marvel said. Right. Um, but it's worth pointing out that this all happened in the same week as Marvel's Fresh Start was announced. Sorry, Marvel 2018 colon a fresh start. Right. 
Jeff, here's my question. What is Marvel 2018 colon a fresh start? You've seen the video, and I'm sure we can link the video in the show notes. Yes. Uh, you've seen that uh, Avengers issue 1 was announced by Jason Aaron and Ed McGuinness, mm-hmm. and Venom issue 1 was announced by Donny Cates and Ryan Segman, mm-hmm. and the Black Panther issue 1 was announced by Tassi Coates and Daniel Lacuna. Mm-hmm. What is a fresh start, Jeff? Oh, I, I, if I'm understanding correctly, it's a commitment to eat healthily, uh, beginning in a, uh, a, a first meal where you essentially juice your fruits and vegetables, um, and then add uh, certain protein powders to them, right? Yes. Would you like to answer that question more seriously? <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I, every time I, I, I hear I, Marvel Fresh Start, I, it honestly, to me, sounds A, like a juicer is being sold, and B, it just sounds like bullshit, you know? So... I was under the impression from when from watching the video, which is... Uh, which I did not watch, by of, the way. Oh, you have to watch it because it's kind of the worst thing ever. <laughs> Um, and I, I, that's obviously hyperbole, but Jeff, if I'm, if I'm Marvel and I'm trying to convince people, hey, come back, like Legacy turned a lot of people off, Secret Empire turned a lot of people off, um, even just the name, Fresh Start, it's clearly a, like, come back, guys, Mm -hmm. like, you know, we're starting over, the one thing I wouldn't do would be to have a very vague badly edited uh, video that like flashes up uh, buzz phrases like new start, new beginning, new creators interspersed with C.B. Sabalski and Joe Quesada two men who to be blunt do not look like they're in great physical health (laughs) (laughs) see I was kind of hoping I'm like ah genuinely looks like maybe he has not slept in a couple of days in this video mm. um, basically be like no you guys it's great uh, it's it's new readers should come in and old readers should come in too <laughs> C.B. Sabalski actually says uh, <gasps> like I haven't seen any, I haven't seen the halls of Marvel so excited in 2018 about what's coming up this year yet <laughs> and it's like what you're saying this year because this is like the middle of February I mean, if you thought like in six, this is the most excited people have been in six weeks. Sure, okay, I believe that. But you know, saying, Graham, Jeff, I think I think you're painted. You're missing what CB Sabolsky is really saying when he says, "I have not seen the halls of Marvel." Period, and then the rest of it is all the blurring. You know what I mean? He's oh, basically here, saying, here's like, the funny thing. I don't think CB Sabolsky actually has seen the halls of no, Marvel. No, he hasn't. I'm, I'm not being sarcastic. Like, no, I, no. I don't think he's been back in Asia for the entire year I think, so far. I think, I think he has not been here in the States. I really believe that. I, I'm, I'm actually at the point where I, again, my conspiracy theorist Kool-Aid is I think they basically were like, yeah, be, be editor in chief of Marvel. And he's like, uh, I really don't want to move from Japan. From yeah, you can work from home. He is literally working from home. I, it's, it's not, he's back in the country now. He is back in the country now. All right. I'll take your word for it. Uh, I, do you not follow him on Twitter? No, I don't. Oh, you, you've got to follow him on Twitter. <laughs> You really do, because it's hilarious. 
Because it honestly feels like a man who reala- every now and again is like, oh, I should say I'm excited about books that's coming up. Yeah. So literally he's like, just been to this restaurant, fucking killed it, loved it. Just, like, just, you know, hung out with so-and-so, fucking loved it. Mm-hmm. And then there'll be a, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about what Kelly Thompson's doing this year. <laughs> Oh, but this restaurant, man. Oh, fucking love. Well, see, it. that's it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. Anyway, so the video is, um, like, you know, badly animated, like, here's a Jim Chung drawing, but we're zooming in. Right. We're zooming out. Look at Spider-Man. Who expected Spider-Man to be in this? Like, and then Joe Gazzard is, like, like, pretty much lying back in a chair and being like, <laughs> I, like, new readers, they, they can totally come in. It's like classic, it's classic characters, new readers and old readers. I mean, it, like I said, it's a fresh start. <laughs> so, so this video is released without warning, by the way, on Monday at seven o'clock in the morning. Retailers get five minutes warning. <laughs> Retailers just told five minutes for a drops. Um, fresh start. And they're like, watch fresh start. And they're like, watch this YouTube link. And the video, uh, like Jeff really watched the video and put it in the show notes. People should. Uh, and you come away being like, is this a relaunch? Like, like, what is yeah. this? What is Fresh Start? Of course. It would be great if Marvel had done a press release to go along with this. Or a statement. Or anything to say what Fresh Start is. Right. But they didn't. Yeah. I, I asked. And I was like, you guys, what is Fresh Start? Like, is this a relaunch? Is there going to be a press? And they're like, there's going to be announcements. And I was like, is there going to be announcements explaining what Fresh Start is? And they're like, just, just watch. Something's gonna go go out really soon. And that that was uh, we're relaunching Avengers. Jason Aaron and Ed McGuinness. We're relaunching Avengers. Issue one. It's gonna be great. Avengers is gonna be eighteen times a year, like it was under Hickman. It's gonna be great. It's it's all the classic characters you know, and it's the classic characters that you know. But don't you love Jason Aaron? And everyone everyone online is like, I fucking love Jason Aaron. This is gonna be great. Right. At the same time as this is happening, Jeff. Where, like, the press release has gone out saying... And it's not even a press release, it's a story in IGN. There's no press release from Marvel yet. Uh, has gone out saying, Avengers 1! It's going to be great. And there is uh, a, a quote... I'm going to have to look up the quote uh, from Tom Brevoort. It's in the story. About renumbering. Because they're calling it Avengers 1. Right? So you're like, so they're renumbering it. It's <laughs> Avengers 1. They have renumbered. Right. There is. I'm trying to find this fucking right. Quote. He says it both ways, right? He's sort of like it's keeping it's new numbering that's keeping the old numbering as well. And I'm like, what it's, the it's, fuck are you talking about? Where yeah. is come on? Where is this fucking quote? I'm because I tweeted it, which I'm literally just looking back and being like, where the fuck is this? So okay, so in this quote, in this story, Tom Brevor says. Uh, sorry, the story says, Marvel executive editor Tom Brevoort wants the Avengers and the rest of Marvel's new comics to get off to a fresh start, and nothing does that better than a new number one. <laughs> this means that the return to legacy numbering done as part of last year's Marvel Legacy relaunch will be going away. Brevoort uh, did express an interest in keeping the legacy numbering around in subordinate fashion for select titles, but ultimately he favors keeping things as clear and unconfusing as possible for readers. Oh, Jesus at Christ. Same, at the same time as that is going on, Retailers are being told it's not. We're not renumbering the books, <laughs> and retailers are saying, "But you are." The IGN thing says very clearly, it's number one. Yeah, and retailers are told, "No, we're dual numbering. It's not renumbering." Yeah. So later that day, 
and we're talking like seven hours or so later. <laughs> uh, Marvel finally puts out a press release for for this. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And it is. Let's see. Where is the? Oh God! Did I do? Did I actually delete the email? That'd be really sad if I deleted. Oh, you no, Graham. You wouldn't do that to us. Oh, I no, I actually might have done, which is a sad thing. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, shit. I actually might have deleted the email. No, because you just moved it to trash. You don't. You don't empty your trash, right? It's just sitting I, there I, for the next twenty-eight oh, days. Oh, I, I empty my trash. What are you talking about? Of course, I fucking empty my trash. What? Uh, here is here's the quote. I actually have two of the quotes. Okay. Okay. Marvel announces Avengers issue one is the subject line of the email. Over the next couple of weeks, we'll be rolling out new beginnings for a few of our key franchises, new creative teams, new starting points, new storylines, all the big stuff that we've been building towards since legacy began, says SVP and executive editor Tom Revert. This isn't a clearing of the slate. While these new starts will kick off with issue ones, we'll be maintaining the classic legacy issue counts as dual numbering on those titles as well. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. So they are issue one, but they're also not issue one. Oh my god, Marvel. Marvel, Marvel, Marvel. That wow. quote, by the way, appeared in all three. In fact, is the entirety of the press release sent out for Marvel. Avengers <laughs> <laughs> issue one, Venom issue one, and Black Panther issue one. That's it. The press release for Black Panther issue one didn't even include the cover art for the comic. Wow. Wow. Marvel's uh. on top. Here's what I've been told privately. Mm-hmm. Fresh Start is not a line-wide relaunch. It is 11 announcements. Oh, God. It's comics. That's it. Ugh. It would be nice if Marvel had actually thought about this at all. So now we have... For the second one in a row, a completely botched rollout of a, a, a what should be a really big deal for them. Yeah. Well, because they're doing that's the same the bullshit. They're just fun. doing the same bullshit. That's the thing that's amazing. They keep botching them because they keep telling people that they're doing something different while steadfastly refusing to do anything different. Like, honestly, they after what they did to with legacy i think they they i'm like i really they deserve to fail it's just unfortunately it's they they are too big to fail yes if they fail everyone is fucked yeah exactly Exactly. i was talking to a mystery publishing executive uh this week chef where i was basically saying like we're all fucked 2018 is going to be a really bad year right and they were like, no, I don't think it is. I don't think 2018 is going to be a really bad year. I think 2018 is going to be a really bad year for some publishers, but I think this is the year that stores will diversify because they are going to smarten up and leave Marvel. And I don't know. It's not a Marvel executive. I should make that clear. <laughs> that would <laughs> be great. You're like, okay, thanks for that, CB. Uh, I will make sure to leave your name off of that. <laughs> Like like Stevie Sabalski would ever talk to me. <laughs> I'm no, I'm no, I am no, no. Oh, we should we should while we're talking about Marvel fucking up, uh, we should also talk about the fact that in the last 24 hours, Chris Samney, D 
David Walker and Gabriel Hernandez Walter have all publicly said my contract with Marvel is up and I'm not working with Marvel anymore. That's right. Which is stunning to me. Not that all of their contracts are up. Don't get me wrong. Like, shit happens. Mm -hmm. But that all three in a 24-hour period have publicly said my contract is up and I'm not working with Marvel anymore. That's right. That's, I mean, that's genuinely wacky to me. Do you not remember when C.B. Zabalski was announced as EIC and people were like, his, he's great with talent? Yeah. Yeah. He's great I with said talent. that to someone who is a pro C.B. Zabalski mm-hmm. um, force. Mm-hmm. That I was like, whatever, I'm C.B. Zabalski being great with talent. Like, these guys are leaving. And there's other guys leaving as well that haven't been announced. There, There's like at least one more big name who's going to disappear from Marvel soon. Mm-hmm. Um, and do you know what the response was? What's that? Those guys aren't in China. <laughs> and that's from someone who likes CB stuff. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. Um yeah, that that is I'm glad you did mention that cuz that was that's that is such an eye opener. Um and and very odd. You know, if nothing else is, as you pointed out, like, uh, Walta, by, by virtue of being the artist on Tom, Tom King's The Vision, is one of Marvel's bigger, best-selling breakout artists in that sense. Samnigon is, is the one that really genuinely Oh, Samni is the one that is also kind of astonishing. Although I do wonder what was going on with Samni is, I kind of wonder if they were he was basically being drastically underpaid like even for his exclusive contract or something like that cuz one of the things that's weird about Samni is apart from putting him on cap with Wade he was not really pushed on any high profile books you know like it yeah, was but he it's they were doing the other thing though mhm like with Daredevil, that was genuinely critically acclaimed. Yes, absolutely. At a time at a time when Marvel was not getting critical acclaimed. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 absolutely. And so I think I think they were like, he and Wade can do whatever they want because we're going to get another Daredevil out of it. Right, right. Yeah, and I think that's probably like, true. That, that didn't really work with Black Widow. Well, I but mean, I Black mean, kind of, kind of just disappeared. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, that's also kind of that thing of again, it's um, how do I put it? Like, well. Uh, you know, they, they didn't put Wade and Samney on Champions, you know, and Champions was a book that, that Marvel wanted to succeed. Marvel, in fact, put Umberto Ramos on there, who's probably got, you know, who I think is probably treated very well page weight rate wise sure. by Marvel. Yeah. You know what I mean? Almost. I just, I think, I think there's a weird, like, either they didn't have enough confidence in him, or they... In Samney? Yeah. No, I th- I think Ramos ended up in Champions because uh, Marvel basically were like, oh, they did Impulse together. <laughs> right, Graham, that's... No, I, I, no, really seriously. No. I genuinely think that the, that's the way they think. Maybe. These guys had a hit with a teen book. Back like in 1996? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. I'm serious, no. Mm, I'm I don't, I don't think so. I think I, I would be shocked if the guys at Marvel even remember that Umberto Ramos worked for DC. Like, they're like, 
No, this is the guy who drew Spider Island. This is the guy who did this for this. <laughs> this is the guy who did that for us. Like, I don't think, like, they think of Humberto Ramos as a big artist for them. But the idea that they put him on there, absolutely not. It's like there was something else that they put Ramos on that was kind of like, what the fuck is he doing on here? You know, and I don't remember if it's like an X-Men title or something like that. But it's Oh, he was on Extraordinary X-Men yeah, with Lamar. Yeah, he's, he's considered – he's they, – they, he's, I think he's a big gun. And I just – everything about not the Not a young way, gun. Not a young gun, exactly. But I don't think that they thought of Sammy the same way. Um and I, I yeah I I think I uh, I think Marvel doesn't know what it has always right um you know I, I, just recently Al Ewing doing the the Deadpool series the mm-hmm. the Deadpool Choose Your Own Adventure series mm-hmm. um don't get me wrong I think it's going to be fun mm-hmm. but it also strikes me as like like my first thought honestly was is this burning off like an exclusive contract page it's a weekly choose your own adventure book mm-hmm. like that's just weird that is weird that is weird but i don't know i mean i think i mean honestly part of me is like i i think ewing is is an interesting choice in that regard as well is that Ewing's a guy who I'm glad they've kept around for so long and they keep giving opportunities to but almost kind of like I'm in that weird way of like then why the fuck is David Walker leaving you know what I mean like is it because I how do I put it I feel like Marvel's usually willing to play out the line with writers um, far more than they are with artists and maybe I'm wrong I would argue that they have with David Walker yeah, I think that's probably true. I think that's probably because if you think about it, Walker's been working for them for two years, three years, three like, years. T- me, well, I don't know. Did was no, he really... it will. It'll probably be three years because he was on. Um, he started with them around Secret Wars. Uh, yeah, he was maybe just after he was doing some run up work. Be- he wasn't doing a lot of run up work before Power Man and Iron Fist, though. Right? And Power Man and Iron Fist, I'm pretty sure was two years ago, because I think Walker explicitly said as such on his, on his Twitter timeline. Yeah, maybe that's true. I, maybe it is just two years. That's nuts. That is insane, right? And, but. Because I, I, on, I honestly would have thought it was, it was. Uh, oh, you know, come to think of it, you're right, because he did the Nightwing series before he did Power Man and Iron Fist. And that had it, right? I think that had a certain amount of heat. Was that contemporary? Yeah, no, not, not, yeah, no. Nighthawk is 2016, apparently. Okay, shit. Okay, I'm, I'm looking. I'm looking right now. Right. So it's a, so, wow. That man had a busy ass two years. That's for sure. Good for yeah, him. He did, yeah, it really, it really does look like 2016, 2017. Where his, where he was just super busy. Well, I say, I say he was super busy. He really wasn't though, because he did. Nighthawk, Paramount and Iron Fist, Occupy Adventures, and Luke Cage. That's just four books. Oh, yeah. I guess that's true. Although, right. And so it was really just probably two monthly books at any given and time. At any given time. Yeah, right. That actually makes sense. Occupy Avengers died a death. Right. It made it, what, eight issues? Yeah, right. Right. In and I mean... Nine- yeah, the the fact that the Luke Cage stuff, you know, that was one of the books you knew about. Uh, you, you know about Marvel giving away the free D- 
digital graphic novel, I, right? I don't. And you made a reference to this on Twitter, and I almost asked you on Twitter what, what you're talking about. Yeah, and I realized where's, kind of... Where does Marvel give away free graphic novels? Um, so every Wednesday, Amazon sends out a, an email, if you're subscribed to it, that's about... Um, the, the new comics that are coming out and it's it's like hey it's you know new comics day basically and so it's like here's what we have sales on um like here's here's a real standard one from february 14th you know black panther up to 65 percent off get ready for the new blockbuster new movie with up to 65 percent off a selection of new and classic black panther graphic novels and then it's up to 50% off on select romance titles. See more. Spotlight sale. Warren Ellis. Browse all. Like new and recent single-issue comics. Save on hundreds of romance titles. So it's basically titles. the Amazon version of the Comixology hit. Yes. It, it, exactly. It, it's like, here's new Comics Day. Here's what out, what's out. And here's what our sales are. Um, and then, let's see here. Let's see if I can find the... So what happened was they sent out an email um boop, 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 boop. oh man where is this weird okay let's see if i can find it cuz it really is one of those like yeah so the one that showed up 2 days ago on february 22nd says a free graphic novel for comics delivers subscribers as a special thank you to our Comics Deliver subscribers, choose one of six graphic novels to download free between now and February 25th. Valid only for active subscribers as of February 16th, 2018. Terms and conditions apply. So you... Oh man, are they going to show it to me? They're probably not going to show it to me because, of course, I redeemed it. But it was six graphic novels that unsurprisingly are Marvel and unsurprisingly skewed toward Black Panther. Like you could pick up the Roxanne Gay and Ta-Nehisi Coates' World of Wakanda, the trade, yeah. for, for free. You could pick That's up nuts. you could pick up the David Walker's Luke Cage trade, which is the one that I ended up picking for free. It was six Marvel graphic novels, all designed in a super tight quadrant that would look good for their sales report of whatever they wanted to prove. Completely free. And like I said, this is happening at the same time that Marvel is more or less making all their retailers throw fucking phones in a bag, you know, so that they can fucking lie to them about dual numbering. So it's it's kind of crazy and it's interesting because i'm like i would i mentioned it in on twitter and nobody said anything which i thought was kind of interesting but i also didn't see a lot of people talk about it and i kind of had that weird thing of like am i the lamest person on comics twitter Do, am i the only person who actually gets this fucking newsletter for no reason i, I literally didn't even know the newsletter existed yeah yeah it, so I literally I, had no idea. Yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of funny. It's kind of funny, and I, you know, I, I always kind of felt a little foolish for subscribing to it. But who's laughing now, world? And the answer is Marvel, and because um, I, you know, are they though? Yeah. Are they? Is Marvel <laughs> laughing? <laughs> They're like, really? Is Marvel laughing? Yeah. Because 
Right. Because I don't think Marvel's laughing. Well, no. I don't think so either, actually. What's what's really genuinely fascinating to me Mm -hmm. is talking about this stuff with people who are um, not even necessarily Mm pro-Marvel, but uh, Marvel sympathetic Mm -hmm. and everyone else. Because you talk with people who are um, like aware of what Marvel does, but have no particular like affinity for Marvel, mm-hmm. and they are of the some like something is clearly rotten in the state of Denmark. Yeah, you know, like like there's weird shit happening. Marvel is continually. Looking like it's trying to get out of the comics business, mm-hmm. and looking like it's very bad at the comics business. Mm-hmm. Um, and you talk to people who are, like I said, Marvel sympathetic. Mm-hmm. And like I had a conversation this week with someone who does not work for Marvel, but like is is yeah pro Marvel ish. Mm-hmm. And they were literally like, "Yeah, Marvel's crazy like a fox. <laughs> you have no idea how much money Marvel is saving right now doing it this way." Like legitimately, wow! And I was like, "This is like this conversation is crazy." Yeah, <laughs> this conversation is absolutely insane to me. Yeah, but but I mean, they were one hundred percent not being sarcastic. Mm-hmm. Going, because Mar- I I was basically putting the, the notion forward that there's going to come a point if Marvel sales don't turn around, where Disney's going to notice. And, like, what that means, who knows? Right. Like, right. they might just be, like, pull your shit together, like, sell fewer comics. They might say, here's a new person that we're putting in to, to help. Right. They might say, like, we're folding the whole thing and giving it all to Disney Publishing, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I, uh, I especially think that because, like, I wrote the Marvel at a Terrible 2017 piece for THR. Right. And we got feedback from people in Disney. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, like, I know Disney people are now noticing this where they hadn't noticed it before. Well, yeah. Right. Right? hmm And I'm talking to this person who is, like I said, like, Marvel sympathetic. And they were basically like, no, Marvel, like, there's, Marvel makes so much money that it doesn't matter. Like, Disney does not give a shit as long as Marvel as an entity makes money. And Marvel, the way that Marvel basically pays people nothing and yet charges more for comics than anyone else does yep. means that Marvel's always going to make money. And so it doesn't matter. Like I, it literally, literally doesn't matter because Marvel's always going to make money and that is all that Disney cares about. I, I, and therefore, Marvel is smart mm-hmm. was their takeaway from this, though. Well, right, exactly. Uh, by the way, those I, I was able to open this in a private browser window and I just thought I'd mention this in a possible meaning for this. So those six free graphic novels that I mentioned that people get just for just for receiving this newsletter, right? Uh, Black Panther, A Nation Under Our Feet, Captain America, Sam Wilson, Volume 1, Power Man and Iron Fist, Volume 1, Luke Cage, Volume 1, Black Panther, World of Wakanda, and Storm, Volume 1. So... 
I really want the sixth one to be like something completely random. Right. That, uh, that would be... Marvel, Volume 3. <laughs> well, no, which would be great. But, I mean, there's something that I think is interesting about that because this is clearly what's going to happen is Marvel is going to be able to show a spike of interest in its African-American superhero titles that is completely artificial. Yeah. You know, this is 100%. But they'll be able to point to it. They're going to be like, look, the Black Panther thing came out and look at what our, look at the sales on Amazon of not just Black Panther, but of Luke Cage, Black Panther, the Sam Wilson, you know, Storm, Sam Wilson, like all of this stuff. This shows that Marvel is able to take the results from the Black Panther movie and have a wave of interest from African-American readers and African-American heroes. Like, this is, this is, this is, this is weirdly tailored and crafted, you know, yeah, but here's the th- and here's manufactured, the thing. like, entirely Who, whoever, official. Whoever they're showing this to, yeah. are we just assuming they're going to be dumb enough to not notice that, like, it's a one-time spike and it doesn't follow through? Well, they're only looking at the reports. Like, this is what it is, is this is going to be a beautiful little blip on someone's PowerPoint slide. Whether or not they, the Disney guys in the room are going to look or turn around and look and see it. I mean, and this is it. I'm firmly convinced that if a Disney executive was like, well, yeah, but, you know, is there is there any sort of interest? Does this show that the rest of the books are still selling? And Marvel will give away a bunch of volume twos of all of these for comics newsletter subscribers and then be like, absolutely, look at this crazy retention rate. Like, that spike that we saw when Black Panther came out, like, look at three months later, it's practically the same for everyone for the purchases of volume two. You know, like there's there's literally this sort of manufacturing that is going on that people don't look deeply enough at, nor really kind of in a way sort of, again, it's that thing of like, well, they're hitting their dollars, they're selling their units, you know, so it all looks fine up there. I don't honestly know what would happen to Marvel if... Disney, like whether or not Disney knows or right, exactly. <laughs> if they paid attention, like it may not, it may not mean anything. These could all be um, prerequisites that that Perlmutter demands of Marvel from editorial. Oh yeah, you know? I, yeah. I, like I said, I was talking to 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 you know unnamed industry insider the other day, and I I basically was talking about this sort of thing, mm-hmm. and they said like, you know, I. I I don't think uh, – well, they made two points. One, it's not Perlmutter anymore. Mm-hmm. That Perl- Perlmutter culture has become corporate culture at Marvel and that there is there is no discernible difference between what Perlmutter wants and what Marvel wants, despite what everyone at Marvel says. Right. I, I totally believe that because they've all been around uh, long enough and – Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Basically, like they, they've, they've just – they've just like – taking it on as their own personal ethos um, and the two um, they were basically backing up the idea that like Disney doesn't care mm-hmm. right and I and I think that that's quite p- 
probably true. I think that's quite probably true. But so how did Disney can has worked out how to get uh, Marvel's worked out how to game the system so much? That's um, so clear. Well, the thing that bothers me is is that again, it's the gaming of the system only is working so well to a certain point. Like the person who's like, well, oh, Marvel's working, being smart for Marvel. Well, yeah, but look at the number of comic stores that have gone out of business just in the first sure. few months of 2018. That Marvel doesn't care. No, Marvel like, doesn't saying, care. Working for yeah. Marvel. Yeah. Well, until it doesn't, and the the point is, is when it doesn't, it may not work for any and all of us. Like the only people that it might work for are for kind of kind of people like me, you know, people who literally the only thing, you know, like apart from uh, waiting six months on Marvel Unlimited for one flat fee, uh, we occasionally get off our asses to buy digital trades at like, you know, pennies on the dollar. Like those are the people like I'm like I'm reaping big dividends from the Marvel lifestyle but it's a it's a lifestyle that is is corrosive to the marketplace and and it's kind of that idea of like oh yeah you know sooner or later it the 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 check's going to come due you know and and once there's not enough comic book stores to go out of business to pay that check you know then then we all kind of have to pay it and then you start looking at then then what does Marvel do, you know? I am uh, I'm half convinced that Marvel Unlimited is going to disappear this year. That would not surprise me, honestly. That would not surprise me at all. Um, and I, I'd be really curious what happens because I don't think that would translate into any more any any more sales for them, really. No, I don't think so either. But it it might pay other dividends for for Marvel in the sense of I mean honestly it, it is one of those things where where it's like if they folded Marvel Unlimited into uh, Comicsology Unlimited and then just took a payout from Amazon I would I would totally see both companies doing that. Happily, you know, I don't think, you think I, it would. I think it's quite I, I, possible. I can't. I genuinely can't see that, but that doesn't mean like I've been wrong before, Jack. Yeah, no. I mean, <laughs> I. I mean, it seems it seems sort of silly, but let's just say when I'm sitting here and I'm I'm staring down the barrel of again the fact that I got a free graphic novel just for being dumb enough to be on a subscription list, um, and you look at and it is weirdly telling that it's Marvel. Yeah. Oh, it's exactly. Absolutely. It's, it is clearly and only Marvel. Marvel and Amazon are, are, are best buds in that sense. They are providing what each of the other needs. And so, yeah, if, if Marvel Unlimited went away and suddenly they were getting paid a decent amount of money by Amazon and they got to take the download figures from uh, from Comixology Unlimited and claim them as like sales units. Mm-hmm. I can see where they. I I can see them doing that. I don't think we would get a Marvel Unlimited that you and I are used to, like 
you know, oh, it's Monday. Let's log on and see what kind of beautiful gem from the 70s some <laughs> exactly. awesome intern what has plucked from the omnibus. On yeah. God love them. You know, I don't think we'll see anything like that, but I think, you know, we might see a very – we would see a greatly diminished version of Marvel Unlimited, but would we see a service where essentially – People for, you know, people who pay, uh, Amazon an extra $7 a month get access to every Star Wars digital trade available, you know, yeah, probably, you know, I can see, I can see that happening. And again, like the complete runs of whatever Marvel deems as, you know, the most important characters, which is to say, you know, kind of the way that it, they've got it now, where it's like, Captain America and Spider-Man and Thor oh, and who, Iron who, Man. Who's got a movie or a TV show? Yeah. Right, exactly. What, what media property are we promoting right now? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So, which which Unlimited does to an extent, but I think it's I, that, that also sounds ridiculous, but it wouldn't necessarily surprise me because, in a way, there's that thing of a. I think Marvel's like, yeah, we got to ditch Marvel Unlimited. That would not necessarily surprise me. But also in a weird way of like, eh, but we can also make, if we can make some additional money off of this, you know. So, I don't know. We'll see. Like I said, I'm talking through my ass, but um, but I got to tell you, <laughs> my ass and Marvel's ass are, uh, you know, seem to have an understanding of, of, of what they want. So... <laughs> Are simpatico, exactly. Simpaticasses. Anyway, we're going to be back in two weeks. Um, it will be a regular rewatch. There's going to be a backstory the following week yep. when we will hopefully turn around people who think that Jeff has brainwashed me, which was the greatest Twitter thread this week. <laughs> that was pretty awesome. getting really upset at you brainwashing me, Jeff. Yeah. Well, that was kind Thank of interesting. You people for finally noticing. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. For far too long. I have clearly been the shy, retiring Stockholm Syndrome member of the, the duo. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that people are finally noticing my pain. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's, th- thanks, everyone. Anyway, two weeks. We're going to be back. And we will be – I mean, it's going to be after a convention. Who even knows what's going to be announced? Yes. Who has a clue whether comics will even still exist in two weeks? Yeah, exactly. Based on our conversation tonight, probably not. <laughs> If you're looking for stuff in the meantime, show notes for this episode are going to be up at waitwhatpodcast.com, including, I really hope, uh, the video for Marvel Fresh Start, which, Jeff, you have to watch. I really, um, i got to say, I'm I'm into it. I, I feel I might have sold you on it, so I'm feeling good about that. Uh, there is a Tumblr, waitwhatpods.tumblr.com. There is a Twitter at wait what podcast. Jeff has a Twitter solo at Lazy Bassett at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. I have a Twitter solo at Graham M at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. Again, this is one of those times where I'm so tired that I did it and I was like, did I have to put too many A-E-M-E's in there? No, I think you got it right. You all know I spell my name by this point. Just spell my name and add an M at the end. It'll be fine. <laughs> we yeah. are also a Patreon supporter podcast, which means I can shut up and Jeff can make much more sense than I can. Oh, I don't know about that. Uh, you know, we're incredibly grateful for all of our listeners. Uh, it is awesome that you've continued to hang out with us for several hundred episodes. 
probably really close to 300 when you factor in, if you count the Baxter building and wait what together. I, uh, I honestly thought you were going to say several hundred years. Several hundred <laughs> years. I, I really didn't think that's yeah. where you were going, and I was like, Jeff, come on. <laughs> don't, don't go too far here. <laughs> this is this is so great. This is such a classic turn. Graham's like, I'm going to turn it over to Jeff, who's going to be far more lucid than me. Go, Jeff. Two sentences in. Whoa, whoa, Jeff. Let's let's roll that back right. a little. Let's not be crazy. Two, apparently, 280 episodes. I've just done the math. All right, thank you. Thank you. Okay, 280 episodes. That's a lot. And considering how we, Lord help us, we do tend to go on. Anyway, the point being, we're grateful for you uh, for tuning in and letting us know what you think and hopefully, you know, getting some enjoyment out of this. And uh, as you can tell, we're somewhat insecure and find that sort of thing hard to believe, which is why it's kind of awesome that there's a thing like Patreon where uh, listeners can throw us uh, what Battlestar Galactica, the original series, referred to as Qubits. Uh, or <laughs> I'm so happy that that's where you went. <laughs> Honestly, since you just mentioned Battlestar Galactica, I was like, what? <laughs> so we are very especially, uh, we're grateful, uh, particularly to the kind crew at American Ninth Art Studios, as well as Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy. Uh, for their continuing support of this podcast and their uh, continuing support of this uh, neck of the Milky Way and not crushing it into a fine powder for their galactic yes. cat box. Yes, indeed, Graham. <laughs> Ever the optimist, back to you. What not? Thank you for listening. Thank you for being there. Thank you for being a friend. <laughs> and most importantly... Thank you for coming back in two weeks. And let's do it all again. Bye! So beautiful. That was perfect.